ladies and gentlemen. What's good, y'all? It's Chris Gary, it's Andrew Benjamin, it's Teep to the Junk, and you're in for another special Bellator edition of the We Are Rising podcast, where normally we would talk about all things rising of Japanese mixed martial arts, or, in essence, we would just shoot the shit. You can follow us respectively on Twitter. I'm at ChrisGary92, Andrew is at Abinger1, and Teep is at Teep to the Junk, which is a punk kick to the balls. <laughs> and, and you can listen to the podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Podbean, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your favorite podcast from. Now, the reason why we're on here is to talk about what happened at Bellator 245 and Bellator 246, which took place last weekend, September 11th and 12th, from the bubble at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Hawkinsville, Connecticut. Now, for starters, about Bellator 245, I mean, what a crazy clusterfuck of a show that was. I mean, Andrew, you were there. Can you say a little bit more about it without being, you know, too detailed as to what were the stinkers and what were just the overall lowlights of the show? Well, that's an easy answer. Every fight but one fight was a stinker. Sorry, T, that just... It was, this was, it, when you, and this was not a clusterfuck in a good way. This wasn't like Cam Soda's recent show, which was a clusterfuck in a positive, unique way. This was a show that was just, it felt like it would never end. If every fight but one was a decision, well, I should say every, every fight that didn't end in a weird way was a decision, except for one. And it was just, it, it, it wasn't, and these weren't good decisions. They were just, they just felt like by the numbers, boring, mis, for the most part, mitch, mismatched fights. Where Bellator had one clear person who they wanted to win versus somebody who they needed to just put up a, an opponent against. Um, I don't know what else to really say about this entire card that was like, that's really positive. I mean... I guess the only positive thing about this show was that uh, Taylor Johnson got a beautiful heel hook finish on Ed Roof um, and Ed Roof's return to 185. But, I mean, in that fight, everybody expected probably Ed Roof to win. I mean, T, I mean, any thoughts about that fight? Man, that shocked the shit out of me. But Roof, you know, he sort of overextended in the way he was... It's almost like going, to, he was doing the, the thing you would expect him to do. At first, I was like, oh, shit, here we go, Ruth's wrestling. But, yeah, and then he got caught, and he didn't really, um, he was a bit relaxed in, in navigating that situation. And that's the kind of situation you, you can't chill out. So he got caught, and, uh, yeah, definitely puts a dent in his, in his would-be rise as a return to 185. On the plus side, you know, Tombstone Taylor Johnson, that's a good win for him. That's that's his signature win so far in his career. So that could lead to opportunities for him at, at middleweight as far as fighting like um, Vanderford or, or one of the like the rising middleweights who's also got a good young record. But yeah, I mean that was a, it was a surprise and but it was that was entertaining. Let's talk about let's very briefly talk about the other fights. Just very quickly, I'm just gonna shoot fights at you. Give me your impressions. Keith Lee 
Uh, Vinicius Zani. Sucked. I mean, Keith Lee based. I, here, the only thing I was entertained about this was that I don't know if it came across on television, but uh, in the arena, Zanny was talking shit. So, so Kevin Lee, Kevin, Keith Lee's the younger brother, of Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is uh, uh, in his Keith's corner, yelling out, you know, whatever what corners do, and Zanny's responding, well, is is responding back to him, uh, like Kevin Lee would say he's tired or he's rocked, and Zanny would scream, "No, I'm not. No, I'm not." So. Uh, also, Zanny came in overweight, catch weight 140. I think he came in two pounds overweight or one pound overweight, I don't recall. But it was by the numbers. Nothing, it was really nothing that made me get in, look at Keith Lee as like incredibly impressive. Also, um, yeah, it, it just, it did nothing for me. It, this fight did nothing for me. If at most, it was the most marginally entertaining fight by like a slim margin. In relation to everything else, yeah, I feel you, brother. Uh, my only observation was Keith Lee had a really nice jab pop and and, and could have done some major major damage by the end, but he yeah. kind of trailed off maybe halfway or two thirds through the fight and wasn't throwing it with the conviction of earlier when he was getting results and he was kind of stepping in too close and getting countered. He needed to stay at range and pop that jab and just bust his face up with it. So I saw like potential, but. In the execution, it was like, okay, good. He won. You know, he's seven and three now. But uh, yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like, oh my good god, this guy's gonna be factor. It was more like, man, he's got he's got some more work to do. But he's gonna get his ass beat it was clearly a, a a showcase fight for Keith Lee, and with that, you want to obviously do something, come across as impressive. And I don't know what weight class he'll be fighting at. One forty five. I'm assuming one thirty five. I'm guessing since this was a catch eight weight of one forty. Um, if he goes to 135, you know, I just, at with who's on Bellator's roster, um, or I'll, I'll just generally put, I'll just say it, you know, if it's UFC, Bellator, even Ryzen roster, I don't see him being that successful against other competition as from what I saw. I see him being yeah. eaten up pretty bad. Yeah, looking like that. I mean, what he has going in his favor is he's only 23. And so he's. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, he's 23. At, he won his four amateur fights, and he's 7-3 and three now as a pro. He's won his four straight. So he's he's on the rise, but that was that was like almost like he needs to, he doesn't need to, like, he, he could step up, but he does, like maybe to a guy who hasn't lost as many fights, but maybe less experience, maybe fighting, if he's a bantamweight, maybe Cass Bell, who just got his first pro loss. So he's 5-1 and one now. That seems like a good fight. I also... That's a tough fight for him. Cass I also... Extend my. I also have to say that uh, Keith Lee has the unfortunate uh, luck of being having the same name as a very popular WWE wrestler. So he has to somehow. If when people look him up, he better do something to differentiate differentiate himself so that people can find his name first rather than uh, uh, WWE's Keith Lee. I feel you. Okay, so fuck that fight. Let's let's go straight to Tyrell Fortune and Jack May. All I have to say is, man, need of the junk. That's not, that was the fight I was saying, if you recall. He needed to win big. He needed to look amazing. And it was just a fizzle because, you know, it's no confidence. He doesn't. He smashed Jack May into pieces, which is what we what we needed. It, it barely got going. That's all I got to say on that fight, you guys? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, clearly Bellator okay. wants for, Fortune to be a thing. Um, yeah. That's what that they wanted to be a thing, and well, I guess I guess the positives he didn't lose his fight. 
Just one thing. No, he's eight and one. He's eight and one. I, I still think he. I still think in two years, he's probably the heavyweight. I th- I see being the champ. I know that might sound crazy, but that's what my my sometimes faulty intuition is telling me. But I mean, he's still young in his career. He's not a young guy. I think he's like thirty. So he's not young, young. He's not like Keith. Keith Lee Young, but for heavyweight, 30 isn't old these days. It's not the pride day. Qu- a question, right though. Would you rerun this yeah. match? Would you rerun this match? No, 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 no. Fuck this match. <laughs> uh, definitely bring Jack May back, though. Don't punish him for getting kneed in the balls, but let him fight someone else. Let him fight like, uh... oh, I don't know. I don't know who to have him fight. Steve Mowry. Maybe have him fight another of the prospects. I don't know if Fortune... I think Fortune is still a prospect, but it's, he kind of got dulled by this. He needed to reaffirm his status, and didn't happen. Let's just, uh, in fact, let's just uh, let's leave it at that and keep it moving. Leslie Smith, Amanda Bell started off pretty lackluster, picked up a little bit later in the fight, but you know, to me, other than Leslie, maybe making an argument now for fourth in the bracket behind um, Cyborg, Arlene Angerfist, and Julia Budd. There's not much else to say about the fight other than she won. Also, Bell Guys, came in. Uh, about four pounds aside overweight. That, aside from that, and I'm going to mention this later, do you think that Leslie Smith, with her performance over Amanda Bell, warranted herself a fight against Liz Carmouche down the line? No, no, Carmouche is at 125. It's um, Kat Cat. Oh. Kat, Kat, she, uh, oh, yeah, she won as Kat well. That's what the fuck I meant. Yeah, she won against um, Gabby Holloway, who now has an even record of six and six. So they both have an even record. record. Bell and uh, Holloway both have an even record. Bell seven seven, uh, Holloway six and six. Um, and I know you don't like pairing losers with losers, Andrew, but well, yeah, I mean, well, that's a fight that makes sense. And you know, the funny thing is, both how Holloway and Bell both came in uh, overweight. They both miss weight. So heck, you know what? If they're gonna both miss weight. What are you trying to say? A 150-pound catch weight between Bell and Holloway? I'm fine with that. You know what? If they both miss weight, I guess, you know, that's rare. You know, it'd be funny, you know. Yeah, so maybe, yeah. Pair, the winners, so maybe pair the winners and losers of that fight. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But this is a I'm fight. That, that. But I'll just say this. Leslie Smith should not be going to a decision with Amanda Bell. No, I agree. And, and you know, the size makes a difference, and... But it's, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of performance where you'd be like, oh my God, because, you know, even though Julia Budd didn't like totally first round smash or anything, uh, melee, but she did beat her up pretty good. Like this was, this was lackluster. I was watching it going, man, you know, that's all I can say, man, that's my review of the fight. Let's keep going. Alex, easy Polizzi climbed to seven and O as a pro and he had, he's six and O as an amateur. So he actually won his. 13th fight in a row, but it was a lackluster cage humping, not cage, yeah, sort of like cage stuffing win over Rafael or Rafael Carvalho, who is now, by my measure, I don't think he's top 10 in middleweight or light heavyweight, but easy Polizzi technically got the win on paper at light heavyweight. You know, now hopefully he gets a fight that is exciting and that he makes it exciting because that he, it was. It was lacking. I don't want to make fun of someone for winning, especially against next champ and a tough guy. But yeah, that was not a good fight either to watch. Uh, Christian, Christian, what's the um, you know the move that Sheamus does, the shoulder break, like the reverse shoulder breaker type move. I think Okada does yeah. it as well. What's that move called? 
think it's called the Air Raid Crash. I think, didn't Polizzi did like two of those to uh, Carvalho in this fight? I believe he... Uh, yeah. yeah, he tried to butt drop him. Like yeah. a leaping butt drop. I'll say this. I, like, I'll give... I'll, I'll say Polizzi this. He, he looked the most impressive out of... Out of all the decision fights, I'll put it that way. He looked the most impressive, so I'll give him that. And truthfully, I think he looked more impressive than the main than uh, Phil Davis, who won the main event. To tell you the truth, and if you want to, hey, listen. If you want to say, hey, who should get next middle of the lightweight, light heavyweight title shot? I say give it to Alex Polizzi, given the fact that he just looked just by better by a better margin, so much better than his than his competition. It's it's yeah. fair to say, but, but he was fighting. Carvalho, he wasn't fighting Machida. I think Machida would kill him, and so would Davis, because he's still he's still getting going. I think that would be like a c- catastrophic step up for him. Well, let's see. Going Maybe he'll get a punishment top. fight. Maybe I want to actually before we go on, I have to I have to show you this, and um, I want I want you all to uh, tell me what you think of this. So I want to. This is so Bellator. They provided us um, a piece of paper that has the blue corner and red corner. Uh, Fighters, you know, and who's the referee, how long the fights, all that shit. So here's all these fight. Here are all the the fighters who competed in the red corner. Listen to this: Keith Keith Lee, Tyrell Fortune, Leslie Smith, Rafael Cavado, Raymond Daniels, Ed Roof, Kat Zingano, Phil Davis. What do all those people have in common? Well, ex- except for. Um Polizzi, they would have expected all the other guys to win. Exactly. And I would... Carvalho was actually a a coming out fight for Polizzi because because of his amateur and pro, like his his undefeated status. Now, I I would never have noticed that. Christian, I think in our interview, I think it was with Jake Hune or Johnny Case. I'm going to say Hune. He said that... uh, Remember one of them said that... They noticed that all the fighters that Ryzen seemed to have wanted to win were all in one corner. Do you remember that that interview tidbit? Yeah, I think I do. And I also realized that now with the cards that have came out for Ryzen over the last year, that the fighters that Ryzen wants to win are more often than not in the red corner. Isn't it not? Yes. So I would not have noticed that. If, if that was not mentioned during this interview. And I was just, because I was looking, I'm like, why why are all these people, why are all the, I guess you could say the, the higher ranked fighters and the fighters who you presume would win in all one corner? That's not a coincidence. I don't think that's a coincidence at all that, that all those fighters were put in the same corner, in this case, the red corner. Just interesting facts. Listen, you know, it has, it's not, it's not, it's not bad or good. But listen, all promotions have their... They, they want things to be go a certain way. Obviously, you can't fix it because that would be illegal. And so... But there is something to that, that that all promotions want there to be a certain direction. And in this case, it's like they put all the fires... They, uh, Bellator wanted all the fires in 245 who they wanted to win to be in the, in the uh, red corner. That's an excellent point. And uh, who walks out first, red or blue? Uh, blue, I believe. Yeah, yeah blue. So they wanted the guy, they wanted to set up and to win. They get the second entrance, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, like, on the prelims, back when they had crowds and stuff, they, you know, some of the live events I went to, 
a couple of the athletes were in the cage before the lights came on for like the, and their music. They oh. were already in the cage. They got the jobber entrance. They got the old the old school WF superstars jobber entrance. Christian, it sounds like. Yes, the Barry Horowitz entrance. <laughs> yeah, you know, and at the time I was just like, oh wow, you know what's Look at this pacing, but you know it's also kind of funny stuff. Okay, look, let's keep it moving because this card is not, you know, I was interested in it structurally, but as far as talking about the fights, the quality of the fights, we need to just get very quickly through yeah. the rest of this and move to the next night's card. Raymond Daniels uh, and poor Peter Stanek. Uh, all I'm going to say is fucking Ouchtown, population one, and it's Peter Stanek is the mayor of Ouchtown, and I just feel so bad for his testicles. That's all I got to say. Stanek. I, I will never forget his cry, him crying and his just like his groans of pain after those after the second low blow. It was it was horrifying. It was legitimately horrifying hearing him uh hearing him groan and cry. It was very uncomfortable. Um do you run this fight back again when Santa Nick uh uh's balls aren't are black and blue anymore uh Tip. No, no, you keep it moving, keep it moving. I mean, it was you know, another the thing that I can say about the whole Raymond Real Deal Daniels Peter Stanley fight was that I was watching this live, and when I originally seen it, I mean, I thought that Daniels did that unintentionally. You know, he literally meant to kick Stanley in the nuts. But then again, after the second time he did it. I would have ruled. Yeah, I would have ruled it as a DQ. I would have ruled as a DQ win for Stanonek. I'm sorry, but like, come to think of it, isn't it like after the second round it goes to a technical decision? I don't. But it was only one minute into the second round, so that's why it it didn't it didn't go into the uh, second round. I would have if I was referee. Uh, I had the referee who was the, uh, it was Jason Herzog. I'm actually surprised that he didn't rule it as a DQ because, listen, first time, listen, fool me once, shame on you, fame, uh, fool me twice, shame on me. He shouldn't have done it the second time, you know. You, yeah, I, I agree with, I would have made that a DQ, and I think if it wasn't Raymond Daniels, realistically, whoever did that would have been DQ. That was brutal. And let's talk about something else, man. It's making my nuts Yeah, hurt. but the one thing I can't say about that fight before we move on is that, I mean, I don't know if Raymond Real Deal Daniels has what it takes to fight anymore, but hey, next time he does that, he needs to keep the punches a little bit higher up instead of right near the gut line. That's all I gotta say. As for Stanley, I don't know. I mean, maybe once his nuts heal up, <laughs> you know, maybe once his lower extremities heal up, he should probably get a better fight against the prospect. Who knows? Yeah, well, I'd say give him, give the man a fight, uh, but uh, you know, give him an opportunity to shine. Because I mean, that wasn't his fault. He got heel kicked in the balls. But uh, I don't, I don't see them putting that matchup back together, man. There's so many better matchups. Raymond Daniels. They've got undefeated prospects that will make a good fight. You know, maybe don't have a lot of high level wins or any high level wins, but they've got some guys at 170 that he could. Raymond should fight. He's too good to be fighting guys with near even records. At least in my opinion, even though he doesn't have an extensive. MMA thing. He's very athletic. He doesn't look fucking forty something, right? No. Like holy yeah. shit, he I mean, moves like a twenty-two year old. I mean, he's forty with a son who's in his twenties, and the fact that he's married to one half of the Northcutt family in one FC. I mean, yeah, he's athletic as fuck. 
But I just don't see him fighting lower level talent though. Yeah, no, he shouldn't be fighting any. That should have been the last one, and maybe it would have been, but it should be. He should just get a step up, you know, fight a prospect, some, maybe someone without any elite wins, but someone who's winning. Anyway, Taylor Johnson and Ruth, we talked about that. Um, let's go to Katzengano, Abby Holloway. I mean, the one thought I got to say about that particular Johnson-Ruth fight is, you know, Johnson with the win here, I mean, obviously he's on the way up, but... You know, I just think it'll take a couple more prospect fights for him to get noticed. As for Ruth, I think he needs to fight bigger competition. At least that's what I think. Yeah, I don't know now, what they're going to do with Ruth. It'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the women's featherweight and co-main event, Zingano versus Holloway. Zingano obviously was in her Bellator debut. She defeated Gabrielle Holloway, who hasn't fought in three years due to being an active-duty military member, which, of course, thank you for your service and whatnot. But still, with Zingano winning, and I mentioned this before about her wanting to fight Leslie Smith, you know, if the fight doesn't happen with Smith, do you see her get propelled up to the division without only, I mean, without even fighting a couple fights? You mean like get up to the top? Like, cause yeah. the thing is, women women's featherweight, they've been signing people, but it's a top heavy division. So there's like, you got Cyborg, Angerfist, Julia Budd, and then it's like a kind of like a free for all, and like beyond that. <clears throat> so, you know, I think you have Zingano fight Leslie Smith, and the winner of that is now seeing as seeing as either Cyborg or Angerfist are going to lose the next fight. Uh, Assuming it, it, you know, it, it isn't a no contest kick to the, where, you know, the genitals. Um, to the baby maker. <laughs> yeah, so the, so if you do Zingano and Smith, the winner of that is probably number three above the loser of, or if, if Arlene loses, she'll probably drop to four. If Cyborg loses, maybe only to three. I mean, to, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's so top heavy. Long story short, they should fight each other. And maybe the losers should fight each other too, because they do need more than just five people in that bracket, you know, but they, they're really only several factors. It's not a hard bracket to climb. It's not featherweight. Featherweight is fucking insane. Welterweight is insane. Middleweight has become so. And so, you know, light heavyweight's getting good. You know, some of these divisions, it's hard to rise. In other, in other divisions, if you just don't fight, other people will lose and you're just rising the bracket. And this is one of those divisions where it's easy to get up there. But here's, but, a, okay, so, here's a problem with this fight. And I said it with Smelly Smith. Zingano should not be going to a decision to Gabriel Holloway. That's the problem. Is that you? I question. I question a. There's uh, the quote Corey Anderson. I know it's kind of meme, but uh, there are levels. There are levels, and Zingano is at a level that is light years ahead of Gabriel Holloway, and this should not have been. The, uh, I don't. It's not that Get Holloway lasted for three for three rounds because she's good. It's because that tells me that Zingano was missing something. And same thing with Leslie Smith in their respective fights. These should have been easy fights that they should have that they should have gotten easy wins on, and they did not go particularly that way. Obviously, yeah, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Zingano-Smith is a fight you got to make, just logically. It, it, I think it would be almost irresponsible matchmaking to do otherwise, unless there's an injury 
or some other sort of um, uh, block that uh, you know that prevents it. Uh, but you know, it's with that if with that fight with Smith and Zingano, whoever wins has to win impressively, uh, considering it's a an immense step up in competition. Because if if it's not an impressive win, so then they're the wins that at that they had that the win will look less impressive by the mere fact that they went to a a very very boring lackadaisical decision in their respective fights. Yeah. Here's the thing, I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm sorry, watching team. You listen. Uh, uh, Anger Fist has looked great in her fights. And it's, it's not only here's the thing. Not only winning matters, but it's how you win. In my personal opinion, if you win through, uh, if if your win is just basic cookie cutter kickboxing or just just laying on somebody, that tells me you knew how to win that one fight. That doesn't tell me you know how to win any other fights. And that tells me that you just basically, you train for, it tells me, it tells me more about you than it does a loser. It really does. And, and there, you know, I know off air we're talking about this, not about this, not really being a sport. And, but there's, you know, there's with all sports, there has to be some sort of entertainment or at least exciting, exciting, um, action going on and we'll talk obviously that the main event obviously was the biggest uh uh a criminal of 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 not having any action but with you have to you have to show why you're more impressed you have to show more than just a win in my personal opinion listen here's a i'll say this connor would, would connor have be the biggest mma star in the world right now if he just laid on top of people for three rounds, no, he would not. Would Ho- Jose Aldo be one of the best featherweights of all time if he if he just t- uh, clinched with people against the cage? No, he would not. There's people. You get your name out there. You get you 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 become more than just a fighter by doing more by just by doing more than the basics. And it's 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 and it also it just also just will do better for your future fights as well, uh, to do that as well. So yeah, I just want to get that point that yeah these fighters won, but they didn't do anything to impress me with the with the win. As GSP famously once said, I was not impressed by your performance, Tula Matthews. Yeah, that's that's fair. I just want to mention one thing though that uh, you know though it you know obviously. Holloway is very tough, but I just want to say, you know, she's she's coming off a layoff herself. You know, they both were, and uh, she was actually coming off a win when she when she left. She had lost to Amanda Bell and uh, beaten uh, Alexis. Is it Defresne? I'm so terrible with pronunciation. Right. But if you go back, she actually went to split decision in 2015 with Arlene with Anger Fist. So she's not like, and she had won the fight for that. She's not. I wouldn't say she's a like. The cream, but she's not like a, a, a pushover. But she had been inactive. But I have to say, Katzengano looked more impressive to me than Leslie Smith. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. I'll, I'll I'll concede. She was sharp. It's just she she didn't get like the, the kill, but she was sharp. She was throwing some fast knees. That was the main thing I noticed. Mm-hmm. She was real fast with the knees from the clinch, and that could play into how a Leslie Smith fight plays out because Leslie likes to pressure. So that's gonna come into come into play. Who's better in the clinch? You know, some fights. That might even be the main thing it come it 
hinges on is who can clinch against Cage best. But here, I hold Chad Zingano in high regard as an elite fighter. Um, I she's had some unfortunate losses, but you know, I always will say this: she beat Amanda Nunes. She ha- she can say she has a win over the 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 UFC featherweight and bantamweight champion. And I'm disappointed that they never ran that fight again because I think it would have made a lot of sense. But you know, she she still she prior to the Rousey fight, she is I could say that she was one of the most impressive fighters at in that division, and she still is. She's still impressive, but she definitely need especially uh, both. Uh, I think it was Leslie Smith was also her Bellator um, debut, right? Leslie, what, this last fight? Yeah, was this her, Bell- her Bellator debut as well? No, no, she fought Arlene for the contender spot. Oh, okay, my she bad, my bad. she would be fighting. Okay, gotcha, she gotcha. Would, she wanted to fight Julia, but, but you know, we're, Zingano was in the co-main event. Zingano, uh, debut fight, should have been much more impressive. I mean, uh, I'm going to let you say the last word, T, because I think I've, I've ran out of uh, words to say. <laughs> no, 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 fuck this car. I mean, the thing is, it's not. I'm not mad at the athletes because I, I can't fight. I train recreationally, so like I'm impressed by anyone who gets in there. But in just in, the aesthetics, fuck this whole card. It was hurtful to the feelings. You know, no man wants to hear another man like crying for the life of his testicles and crying for future generations and his whole genetic line just screaming into the into the into the void because he got you know like I got okay fun story. I once got kicked twice in the nuts it, it, with the same approximate. I might have even been more close together than he ate him. But, uh, and I got shin kicked by a Sambo stylist. Uh, I think his name was Sir, Sergi, Sergi. I forget what we call him, but he was a stocky guy. And he'd sometimes come to sparring the night after some drinking. So he wasn't always like on point. But that, that day, I sidestepped into a, a, t- a kick, a flush shin kick to the nuts. And then a little bit later, I did the same thing sidestepped it wasn't his fault i just sidestepped into a really hard leg kick that ended up connecting with the boys and you know it's the worst thing in the world i mean there's that's all i want to say i just want to just say i empathize and this was years ago mm-hmm. that this happened to me and I, it still hurts to think about and now i have this sad memory from this card so fuck this card well, hold on, but any, any last any last anything you want to say about the main event um yeah the most important thing about this main event was not the fight itself. Like, Machida's tricky, but he slows fights down. He's, he's one of the best ever at slowing a fight down. Phil Davis generally just doesn't pace him. If pushed, he can step it up. And on the ground, he knows when to turn it up. But, like, on the feet, he kind of moves like Gumby traditionally. So the, the main thing about this fight was who's going to fight Vadim Nemkov? Who's fighting Fedor's hand-picked I think it was a 2015 Russian amateur thing, handpicked, or, or some kind of Russian thing he was at, handpicked by Fedor, Vadim Nemkov, the protege, the, the key protege of Fedor Emelianenko. It's all about him. He beat Fedor's ass. I mean, he highlight, he got three highlight reel segments in just finishing it. You know, you could put those three, like the head kick, and then the, the, the first GMP, you could put that in a highlight. Then you could, like, later on in the highlight reel, you could throw the second first, and then you could have him running away like Overeem and Karatanov and get clubbed to the ground. You know, like three highlights out of one finish. That's not even the rest of the fight. He stunned him with a beautiful right. But anyway, 
I, I could go on by about Nemkov. That's the most imp impressive, interesting thing. So I was just looking let's to see how these guys match up. Hmm. I mean, let's just go on to Bellator 246. <laughs> well, Yo, Christian, give me 20 more seconds. So all I'm going to say is Davis was, was keeping his right hand closer to his jaw, and he was bringing his left hand back after the jab faster. I thought that was interesting, along with throwing more kicks, as far as how he matches up with Nemkov. Other than that, fuck the fight. Let's go to the next night. Yeah, let's go ahead and go to Bellator 246 because that was not only a lot more interesting, but it had a lot more finishes and one very questionable decision. And that questionable decision happened in the very first fight, Dabby and Franklin versus Ras Hilton, in which Hilton lost to Franklin via technical decision after two and a half rounds were completed. Now, what were your thoughts about this fight as it happened? It should have been a DQ. Should have been a DQ. Huh? You're, you're on rabbit punch. Ha, ha, I don't get it. Rabbit, listen, rabbit punching, that is not by accident. That is That should have been a DQ. That should have that should have absolutely have been a DQ uh, for uh, a win for, for Hilton. For Hilton. I agree. I don't know. Uh, and also, what a terrible fight. Oh, here's, here's I'll say this about, about Franklin. He hulked up uh, in the uh, in the third round. Uh, he he was getting tired, uh, but then he start, He actually did a he actually did hulk up. He got he gave that like very powerful takedown on on Halton, So I'll at least give him that. But this this was the wrong. Well, I don't know how who's the sides. I I'm gonna guess it's the referee. Referee, uh, I don't have it in front of me. But whoever was referee, this should have said DQ. Cause he warned him. I heard him. I heard the referee say, "Be careful." Uh, Watson punches at the back of the head, uh, and then uh, Franklin did it again, and then, yeah, uh, this. Yeah, that was that was a terrible, a terrible thing. And honestly, like credit to Franklin. He had he, he looked, at the very, very beginning. He looked sharp, but then he was looking so obviously tired. It's like it was like so, so, so tired looking. But then he surprised you with a burst. And then he did have the thing, but that was such a blatantly, you know, uh, negligent or intentional one. Um, Maybe Andy. negligent. He was, but you've got to care about not rabbit punching. That's just EQ. Andrew, the referee for the bout was Dan Mergliata. I'm honestly surprised he did. He gave it a DQ. Did not. Mergliata has been there for a long. I remember the Brock Les um the the Lesnar first Lesnar Mir fight. Uh, Lesnar lost a point. Due to repeated punching to the back of the head, that and um and I'm I have no idea why Murgiata did not uh rule this DQ. That's a, a incredibly poor decision. I this wasn't it. So, sorry, T. Wasn't it Big Dan that took a point from MVP for for pantomiming taking a selfie while he was beating Rich Kylie's ass? Oh, um, I I the, the, the you know it's this. The referees are weird. They are very strict when, when it comes to like showboating in the ring, and then like w when there's blatant rule breaking of like grabbing cages or grabbing your opponent's uh, shorts or gloves or whatever. It's like they totally ignore it. I have no idea why. Or cursing. I'm trying to think. I know there was a fight recently where someone was where someone was cursing, and then uh, they got like a point deducted. Maybe it was a UFC fight. I feel like. Um, yeah. It's a could be it's the corporate age so the corporation 
you know, like whether it's when the broadcaster, they have the they have the ultimate clout. Oh, it's really, it was like, really stupid. Like, like honestly, legitimately, this was like the one bad fight on the card. And it was mainly it, it was because decision. I think it was more how they ruled it. It really should not. It should have been a win for for Hylton. Um, I have no idea what you do next with Franklin. He clearly has a lot to work on. I, you know, I hope that, you know, he just improves from there and just stops pu- punching people in the back of the head. Yeah, I mean, he looked phenomenal in his, in his like, for a rookie in his rookie fight. But uh, he, he gassed so hard. And, you know, without the crowd, you can hear every labored breath. Oh, I heard it. I heard, I, I was only 10 feet, uh, not 10 feet, but about 20 feet from the cage. I, I just heard, <sighs> oh, no, it was bad. It's like, you know, there's there's panting and then there's, like, like moaning. I'll tell you this. If he, if he has coronavirus, he just infected the entire the entire uh, Mohegan Sun Arena with the amount of breathing that he was doing. And he was, a, he, was a, he was one of two Jackson Wink, the first two Jackson Winkle John uh, scholarship recipients. So, like, I was, ta- I was raving about him. He's, gonna, he's a destroyer of worlds. You know, and the fight ended up, that's, I guess, why I called it so terrible. I was very hyped for this fight. As much as anything that wasn't the, the, the main and co-main on this card, I was more hyped for this fight because I wanted to see, you know, uh, Franklin because the other recipient, Christian Edwards, has looked amazing. And so I was like, these two guys, got to watch these guys. Mm-hmm. He, he's probably going to get, like, the, the take-it-easy special, you know, and they'll book him in, like, five or six months, and they're basically going to tell him and tell the coaches, like, this kid needs cardio. Mm-hmm. Don't derail his career with him getting he, If he doesn't have pacing and cardio, he won't be here anyway. Because they have high hopes for him. Mm, but, uh, but, uh, uh, cardio. That's it. yeah, cardio. Anything to take away from this fight and stop punching and no more rabbit punches. <laughs> yeah, that was a very, that was a very, like, the way people characterize Bellator prelim fights. That was one that sort of lived up to the negative hype. But, you know, it's, I'm just saying, like, they're so new and it's really like, you know, they're just getting experience without being. Like televised mm. fully, but uh, T, move on to the next fight because this was a this is a really this this next fight was an awesome fight. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about this next fight. Ty Gwerder knocked out George Tokos via left hook knee combination. One minute five seconds of round number three. Gwerder now moves up to five and one. Tokos now four and two. Now, as far as Gwerder goes, wow. <laughs> what can you say about him that? I mean, what can you legitimately say about him that made him want to win? I mean, shit, what am I trying to say? What can you say about him that can make him feel like a star prospect? Well, they both and, look good. That's the thing. That I would, Toko, not to take anything away from him, they honestly both looked, they obviously one person won, Girder, but they both looked impressive. They're definitely two guys who I'll definitely keep around, I would say, at least, or, at least offer... Tokos, another fight. Gwerder, you know, definitely long-term. Um, and definitely, yeah, listen, the, I, 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 like I said, I presume that, that Bellator is going to give a, a punishment fight to John Taylor Johnson for beating uh, Ed Roof. Uh, but in, if they don't, you know, I think a great matchup would be Gwerder and Johnson. You know, put it a higher on, on, on a prelim or maybe have it as an open, opening main card fight. What do you think, Teep? Yeah, that's not a bad idea at all. And I, I think this is the fight where, let me see if this is the one. So, right, so Gwerder just beat Tokos, but he's coming off a loss to Joseph Creer. 
who was who's a, a seven one and one. And Creer lost his only loss to Austin Vanderford. So these are all like and and beat Werder. So it's like um they've got like a little sort of like prospect shuffle going on to see who's gonna like step up and Vanderford's like at the level just above them. Because I think he's nine and oh now and he had four amateur wins. But these guys are these are guys of the future stuff and they have some amateur experience, or at least some of them do. These are the type of fights that Bellator should more than likely put on. A prospect versus prospect fight. These are the fights, you know, I I know I know that uh, I know you deal with a lot of the from the uh, from the so-called intellectuals on R slash MMA. But there's one thing I do agree that Bellator can absolutely, you know, kill you know UFC and every maybe maybe other promotions is is doing is doing prospect fights like these. You know, you know guys who are five and one, four and two, or you know similar age, similar whatever. They can really excel because. I th- it's 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 a great opportunity for both fighters, in my you personal know what, opinion. Andrew, I get what you mean by that because you wouldn't want to match up a five and one prospect versus somebody who has like thirty fights and oh this is his UFC debut and blah blah blah, knowing that he's gonna win. Oh yes, of course, of course, of course. Uh, but yeah, you know, and actually, by the way, also as well, I, this was a standing knockout. I always have to always point it out. Standing knockouts, I love. It was a great, uh, great uh, stoppage by the referee. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Anderson. Todd Anderson was the. Uh, yeah, it was Todd Anderson. Yeah, so it was a great stoppage as well, unlike the first fight. And yeah, I hope to see more of Werder. I hope to see more of Tokos as well. Um, I don't think this is a, this is a, 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 a loss at Tokos. You know, you know, they should be forgotten for. I mean, anything you would do with him, Teep? Uh, any potential future fight? I don't. I would just. Tokos, yeah, you haven't fight Pat Casey, who lost to Daniel Madrid. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, it's Casey. Yeah, he looked good. I was like, this guy is tiny. It's actually Madrid's really big, but I was like, this guy's tiny, but he, you know, he really showed a lot of fortitude and pretty. I thought uh, I was personally impressed by the approach to get at it and do stuff. It wasn't the busiest fight the whole way through. They both had moments, and I did think Madrid. You know, deserve deserve the win, but Casey he presented a, a pretty good showing for himself. So I think him and Tokos, you just have the losers fight, and then maybe even have Guerrero fight Madrid. Well, here's the thing, interesting thing about Madrid though, he's technically not a prospect. He's been fighting for a long time, so yeah, no, I, I mean, not as a prospect, but Guerrero, I mean, he just he just beat a, a prospect. Well, well but here's the, but here. For, know, so. Madrid is is it's kind of he's in an interesting spot. Uh, well, first of all, here's the interesting uh, uh, fact I put down about him. That reminds me to talk about it. Daniel Madrid beat Pat Casey via split decision, but Madrid, for lack of a better word, I mean for lack of a better term, is not a prospect by any means. Mm-hmm. Pat Casey, the guy he beat, is. Mm-hmm. So would you say that Pat Casey would do better against Tyler Gordon than George Tokos did? No, because, I mean, the idea is if you keep pairing, like Andrew says this sometimes or implies this, if you keep pairing winners and losers, right, people will lose mm-hmm. their way out of, unless you're trying to build someone back up with soft fights, like, you know, 
if you keep pairing winners and losers, you're gonna. Well, here, the only way you get what the only way you get away with winners and losers is if you have official rankings. And I'm not gonna say that you know that rankings. You know, listen, we all know the UFC rankings are horseshit. But at least you then have like, okay, if somebody you know lost, if they went from like number two to number five or something in a recent loss or something. You, you can then pair them up with five and six or four, five. You can. There's at least some some sort of concrete thing where, like, okay, you can kind of work with that. Bellator not having any. Actually, no. Let me stand corrected. During the broadcast, um, when I was uh, in the press section, they're 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 simulcasting it uh, on a television. They did show rankings, but it wasn't like number one or number two. They just seemed to show like, I guess the top ten. I guess. Do you remember that, uh, Teep? I don't remember seeing the top ten, but they do sometimes list people who are sort of in the realm of the discussion. Yes, yeah. So I know that belt. So without any concrete thing, and because that's the problem is that when you don't have anything concrete, stats wise, you can kind of make whatever fights you want to fucking make because you can because there's no there's no justification uh, for that. That's, uh, that's why they do that. I mean, that's that's what probably. Boxing promotions would, would do if they could. Yeah, of course, uh, of course. But no, but the UFC has, you know, bullshit rankings. They, you know, they basically email the, the ranking panel through the UG to, you know, through the underground to like tell them pretty much how how to rank. Oh it. yeah. And then yeah, but at least at least with that, there's something. They also want the flexibility. These promotions because what they'd like to do is have the, a couple of the top guys fight for the title, right? One of the top guys fight the title. Maybe the other contenders fight each other, but like mid top ten and down, they want them fighting athletes outside the top ten. They yeah. don't want to lose all of their names out of like the top ten realm as far as like what make a, lo- a logical top ten. Does that make any sense? Oh yes, yes, of course, of course. Um, that's, why you see, that's why you see Fitch fighting Gracie. I don't have Gracie in the top ten. I have him probably closer to thirteen or fourteen. But also, Roy, Roy, uh leaving that kind of that kind of mucked up the. Uh, 170 division uh, indirectly, I think. Or directly, I don't know, actually. Man, that's, a bong, that's a crazy division. They have a lot of talent there. Not all the talent well, has a name. Let's go back to, let's yeah, go back to Madrid Casey. I do yeah. like the idea of Casey Tokos. Here's the thing about Madrid, though. Like, like, uh, like Christian said, you know, he's not a prospect. He's 36, and he's been fighting for a long time. So and also by the way, his this is his first fight to ever go to a decision. He all of his other fights have been finishes, win or lose. So what I find, what do you do in the case of Madrid? Do you have him? Do you do you add him to the Bellator one eighty five roster? Or because I think this was supposed to be a more of a showcase fight for Pat Casey. Listen, by the way, as well, we saw a lot of LFA fighters and King the Cage fighters and a lot of those. Those those top regional promotional fighters on these Bellator shows, uh, so I'm sure that that Bellator was doing some pretty much some scouting. This is their way of doing scouting, um, and I think they wanted uh, Pat Casey to come away with this with a win. Um, be that as it may, what do you do with Madrid though? Is he somebody who you have long term in the Bellator roster, Teep? Or yeah, do you... I thought he, I thought he looked good. I mean, he could have paced. He could have pressed more at times, but like on the whole, I thought he looked good. They both looked very composed. I enjoyed that fight a lot, actually. Oh no, it was good. I mean, I don't know why it was a split decision. Sorry. Like he he went through a lot, you know, to like to get there, and but he had won four in a row in LFA, and so they're like, okay, well here's 
you know, here's Pat Casey, you know, see if you can do this. He, he won that fight. So, yeah, you keep him. You know, because now he's won five fights in a row. So even though he's a, even though he's not a prospect, he's a veteran with momentum. Yeah. And that works. Because, okay, so he's won five in, a, five in a row. So if you have one of the other prospects who are young, who you're trying to build, well, he's the kind of guy you have him fight. Because if he beats them, it builds his credibility. And he's already got a resume of sorts. If they win, you just snap the guy's momentum. That counts. You know, I mean, it's not like how the promotions always rank and make decisions. But really, if we're talking about a sporting architecture, you're talking about winning fights in a row and beating other people who win fights in a row because then you're like the winningest winner and you fight for the fucking title. That's how it's supposed to kind of work. It doesn't work that way, but but in my mind, that's how I see it. So you want a guy like him with momentum to lose to a prospect or beat some prospects and get opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's win-win. Yeah, of course. You have like, now they have like Carvalho, who's an ex-champ, but he's just losing and so what do you do with him? Because he costs a lot more than a prospect or, or a guy like Madrid. So that's more their dilemma, I think, is at what point do you say, does the, the cost-benefit not work? I think yeah. Roy Nelson's in that position. They might have him fight Mitrion. They I might say, yeah, Roy, this is, I think, you know, best of luck. See you in Bare Knuckle. Uh, didn't Mayor just sign to Bare Knuckle? Yep. yep. Yeah, so guys can still make money. You know, and Coker says that. Well, I'm not, he says he's not the one to decide if someone retires, but... There's a point at which, you know... We'll save that discussion if, if it ever happens. But um, I definitely do agree. We definitely should see more of Madrid in Bellator and Casey as well. This is not a, like a loss that makes you think, uh, Casey, you know, pros- not, not prospect. Def- you know, split decision, loss. Bring him back, you know, like you said, face Tokos. Um, I don't think... You know, I don't know what Ed Roof's plans are for 185 or 170. Um, I'm presuming he's going to stay at 185. I don't think you get. I I I don't wouldn't. I mean, if you, I would I would almost only say you could give him the winner winner based on his name alone. Give him uh, one of the winners of these one uh, either Madrid or Guerrero just because of how uh, of his name alone. But I don't know if I want to risk that. It's a, I don't know. Um, but I would definitely, definitely Madrid and Casey are two guys who I hope Bellator can include again, um, in their 185 division. Um, but with that being said, uh, Christian, we're going to move this along. Let's move on to this one, to the main card with the first fight at 155. Hey, hey, I'm sorry. I apologize. Can I make just a very, very brief point? Yes. Something, a lot of times when they announce the card, they set up the sheet on social media. They don't list the amateur records. And when I'm ranking, I don't use the amateur records at all. But I always look on Tapology to see the amateur record because it gives a sense of cage experience, even if the rules are a little different, you know, headgear, shin pads. But you're you're getting a sense of how how many adrenaline dumps they've navigated because the adrenaline dump is there. And so, like, with Casey, I think he just fell to, what, six and two? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he was he was seven and two as an amateur, right? But he, he was seven and two as an amateur. So when you look at his at least gauging someone's experience or their maturity as a fighter, because he was he looked very polished for for six and for a six and one fighter, or what you know whatever he is no six and two at the time when they when they clashed. But part of that's the amateur experience. So I just want to say that people look on Tapology, look at the amateur record. You don't have to be impressed by it, but understand how many times they've been through camps because these guys go through legit weight cutting camps for fucking 
fights they're paying to participate in. Just keep that in mind. These guys, it's, it speaks to their discipline, even if you don't count it for ranking or count it even for skill. It's their discipline and their experience. And it does mean a lot. It adds up a lot. That's all I'm going to say. Right. Now, do you want to move to the next one now? Yeah, man. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about it. Lightweights. Keone Diggs drops his undefeated record to 9 and 0, choking out former title contender. Derek the Stallion Campos via rear naked choke near the end of the fight. Round three, four minutes, 59 seconds. When easily, easily it could have been a decision victory for Diggs. So now I have to ask, with Diggs squeaking out a submission victory, what's next for him? And Campos, him losing by this very close margin. I mean... Do you see his Bellator career coming to a close, or does he have a few more fights left then? I think he stays around. He's put on so many great fights that he, unless he see you see a noticeable drop off in ability, I think they keep him around, man. He's he's like a staple. He's one of the staple guys, but he has put on some incredible fights. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely think you keep Campos. He's one of the guys who's. who's so durable and he's a threat to anyone and you know we saw in the fight he didn't get steamrolled so so I think and for Diggs yo maybe outlaw or something I mean Diggs looked really good he's really big and uh you know Campos isn't a big guy for lightweight obviously he can make featherweight but uh but Diggs looked I thought really good now, I don't know now I think a pro for no amateur I mean he needs a, a big step up from Campos he needs like a full blown lightweight size Winning lightweight. I think Outlaw would be great. What do you guys think? Uh, well, before Outlaw. I answer that, um, what do you think about him missing weight? And here's the thing. Should that missing weight at all affect, um, I guess, the outlook of his win? Yeah, a little a little bit. He said it was a, some kind of logistical error, but uh, yeah, it should a little bit. Like maybe if he, that hadn't happened, maybe he gets even. I don't know, though. I mean, it's... Lightweight's pretty tasty, but it's not their tastiest division. So I think either way, you probably book him, book him against Outlaw or someone badass. Hmm, I see. But what about Keone Diggs? What's next for him? Yeah, what do you think, Andrew? What do they do with him? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, wait, were you, saying, were, you saying Camp, were you saying Campos versus... Um, Campos versus Outlaw? Or are you saying, uh, Diggs versus Outlaw? Diggs. Campos. Diggs. No. Oh, Diggs versus Outlaw? Really? Diggs versus Outlaw. Maybe. The thing is, Diggs look really good. Campos is, you know, he's a guy when you look at his record, you'd be like, what the fuck? He just lost his 11th fight out of 31 fights. But it's, that's not, you know, like you, some of these guys, you have to look at the details. They're very dangerous. Like, uh, Andrew, we were talking about. Zach Freeman, when he beat Pico, they gave him Sadawad. We look at Sadawad's record, just numerically, you'd be like, what? Look at his fights. You'd be like, oh, this guy's a fucking badass. But he fights badasses. He doesn't always beat them. So so I think this they would internally rate this win by Diggs pretty highly. And he's he's got nine pro wins now, and he had four amateur wins. So he's really coming into his own. So if they think he's ready, I predict something like Outlaw or maybe a Piccolotti fight or, or Bendo. I don't know. 
Bendo's tough because. Not Bendo, no. Well, it would be such so a step down from Bendo. Yeah, he's too much, baby. I, I, I wouldn't give him Piccolotti because also Piccolotti lost his last fight. Um, the Alaw fight, I think, think probably makes the most sense. Um, what's Brent Primus doing? That's a good fight, too. Primus is, he's been winning, so, uh... But here's, that would be, like, a, an immense, I think that actually would be, other than Bendo, the um, the most step-up in competition for Diggs if he were to fight uh, Primus. Yeah, it's criminal how little credit Primus gets, uh, just because the way he kicked Chandler in the leg, and it was Chandler's fault, because he was, he, he was basically standing in a fucking horse stance, and an ex-soccer player who likes to kick, kicked him flush in the in his shit, you know, I mean, he got, he got hurt legitimately, but people were, had, you know, the narrative or whatever, but Primus doesn't get the credit he deserves, even after Chandler gave him his credit in the rematch, said that was a tough fight, you know, he didn't get his credit, but he's a badass dude, I think you have him fight Benson, I think you have Primus fight Benson, then you have Diggs fight Outlaw, that would be my shit, what do you think? I mean, I think that would be a good fight. Yeah. Bendo's coming off a loss, and Primus is coming off a win, but Bendo is falling from high. Because after Patricky Pipple lost in Japan, he was no longer the number one contender. Bendo was. Chandler knocked him out to become the number one contender, so Bendo's one loss removed from being the guy in line. So it's not like... So he's he's fallen to where he's risen to. Considering the fact that Patricky lost to a fighter not contracted by Bellator, obviously, and Topik Musayev. I mean, wouldn't that still consider him? Wouldn't he still be considered a top contender for the lightweight belt, regardless of if he still holds it? A top contender, but not the top contender. Okay. Yeah, he's still up. He's still in there. That's why I think you know, like, you know, it's it's if you're really high up and you lose, you are falling, but you're falling to where the guys are rising to. It's like Primus has risen to where Bendo probably just fell to. So they could fight, even though it's a winner and a loser. I, they're in about the same place. So the winner of that rises a little more. The loser, you know, goes down because it's just how it goes. You know, at least that's how I see the booking. That's perfectly cool to do that kind of winner versus loser pairing if they're in the same kind of place. Well, how about this? Like, how about, what if, um, in the case of... Um... Uh, would I actually? I think that the Alwa fight makes the most sense. What for Campos though? What about him versus Georgie Kakarian? Oh, that's fun. I think you mean Uh, whatever. Close enough. Anyway, um, Georgie K. We'll call him Georgie K. Um, since he lost his last fight. Yeah, you could do that. But they have, you know, the thing is, they have some different featherweights and lightweights that they may want to bring up, and he's, like, one of the tough tests. Well, here's, I talked to Campos. He said that he's only he's going to stick at, at lightweight. So I guess if you want to do, uh, well, the Gertz, the Gertz matches were at lightweight, right? Or they have featherweight. I don't remember. They were lightweight, I believe. Hey, we, we forgot Yamauchi, too, man. Holy shit. Oh, well, I didn't mention him because, I don't know, can he come to the country? I don't know. That's the one. I know that Brazilians have been able to come for the UFC shows, but those, I think those aren't, those, aren't they, um, uh, hmm. Actually, yeah, they had 
Vinicius uh, Zani, uh, who's on the 245 court. He's from Brazil. Well, I don't know if it's a case of if you're a Brazilian who trains in the United States type thing. I don't know. Is it is it something? It's not like that because otherwise, I mean, they said Vinicius trained out of my neck of the woods in Houston. So otherwise, if he was straight from Brazil fighting out of Brazil, he wouldn't have been able to make this card. Yeah, that's a good point. If they can make that, yeah. I guess it is a little tricky, but yeah, but like we haven't mentioned him in the lightweight landscape, and he's up there. No, that's true. No, that's true. But um, let's keep this moving, guys. Christian, move on to the. Oh, is there any last things you want to say, Teeth, about this uh, fight? No, no, I'm good. Okay, let's move on to the next fight, Christian. Ah, uh, yes. Let's talk about the tri-main event in this case. Liz Gervula Carmouche made her long way to Bellator debut, submitting Invicta Veteran, and one-time UFC fighter, the Argentine assassin Deanna Bennett, via submission, rear naked choke, 317 of round number three. Carmouche notches her 14th win of her career, Bennett her seventh loss opposite 10 wins. Now comes the crazy part. Regarding the fact that Bellator's flyweight division is ruled by Yalimale McFarlane, but of course, fighters can't come into Hawaii without going through a two-week quarantine, and, well, there's possibly going to be a 50% chance that Bellator does a show in Hawaii by year's end. Do you see Carmouche potentially fighting her best friend? I already have an easy answer to that. Uh, and when I asked Liz Carmouche this, the answer is yes. Well, here's the thing. They haven't, she said they haven't trained in a while. And huh? they did, they, together I should say. And they, and she did say that while they are friends, they said that when they were coming up in the, uh, I guess the fight world, they, they did say that, you know, if it ever comes down to us fighting, we would fight each other. Uh, that's what she told me, so... Yep, that's what uh, Carmouche told me, and uh, I expect that to happen. Um, but there is somebody else here. Who's McFarlane fighting again? Um, upcoming, Teep? It hasn't been announced that I've seen, but it should be Juliana Velasquez. Okay, assume, oh, here's the thing. Uh, I, well, assuming that McFarlane wins that, and she should. You definitely, and, well, also, here's the other thing as well. Um... I actually, I why do I? I seem to recall Scott Coker saying something that a Hawaii show wasn't going to happen because because of the restrictions on sporting events in on COVID. I believe he said that at the post the two forty six post fight conference. I remember him saying something about that that no Hawaii show was going to happen this year. I am one hundred. I think they're going to probably do their shows at you know in Milan. And a Mohegan Sun. They're just going to let that be good. Yeah, because I know that California... I don't think that you... They, they, if you want... If they can't do, couldn't do it in Hawaii, you know, the obvious other place to do it would be California, but I don't think California is doing any... I don't think they're doing any sports shows as well, and... Well, here's the thing. California, unless you're locked down in a bubble like Premier Boxing Champions, they're not going to let you do a show with a crowd this year. Yeah, so, and here's the thing, I want to say about, for McFarlane, the, McFarlane, you want that crowd. That's the one thing I, I you know, I was thinking, talking to Kaylee Diggs um, about it. I should have actually also asked 
uh, Tiger word about it since he's also from Hawaii. Is that you know whenever these Hawaiian fighters fight, they always get to see the entire. They always get the entire state to follow them, wherever they are. I have no idea how they do it, but they always get every fucking person from Hawaii to come wherever they are and fight. You see Ray Cooper's fights. You've seen it. Uh, BJ Penn's fights, you know, Max Holloway's fights. They get everybody from fucking Hawaii to come and see them, no matter where they are. I think you want to save McFarlane uh, for when you have an audience, in my personal opinion. Or at least yeah. some audience. Not even a full audience. And at least be able to do in Hawaii at most California. Yeah, that's... There, you know, if you... Sorry, go ahead, T. I was just going to say, you're absolutely right about the crowd, man. I, I saw, I went live to... I. Stupidly, I, mean, I drove all night, no sleep, and, and went saw the the Penn State event in the middle of fuck State College, Pennsylvania is in the middle of nowhere. It smells like poop. Huh. It smells like manure. You know, it's like that country. And uh, man, she had a whole section. Yeah, listen, you know, it's, you just want to have an audience. There is just some people I think you should have an audience for. I don't think you want to have Fade. You want to do a show in Russia with Fedor when there's no audience. You don't want to do shit like that. Listen, you can have an you can have no audience with with, with Archuleta and Mix. You can have no audience with Davis and uh, and, and Mishita. Yeah, you you can you can get away with it with some people. Like here's the thing: Connor is not going to be fighting at all until there's an audience. That's my big belief. He's not retired. He's he's he, he's going to fight when UFC can have. A, some sort of audience back. And, you know, whether that, you know, uh, I, if I was McFarlane, I would do the same thing. You know, I, I'm not going to fight. She should know her value uh, as a fighter. She's clearly one who can draw an audience. In a way, in a way, what the hell do you think Ryzen's doing by having tension about Sakawa fight in front of an audience? And on TV, of course. Of course, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, by the way, I uh, also want to mention Deanna Bennett came in at, I think, about over six pounds for this fight. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. What do you do with her? What do you do well, with her, team? The tribe did say that her next fight should be at Bantamweight. Otherwise, they're going to ban her, right? Well, yeah. Well, you know, here's the interesting, interesting thing about the Mohegan Sun when I talk to them. Whenever a fighter misses weight, they don't uh, automatically deduct the 10%. What they told me, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Crosby who told me. I think it's David Crosby. Is that what his name is? Um, uh, whoever it is. Uh, he told, uh, one of the people told me what they do is they let the fighters and the promotion work it out. Because if they, if they deduct 10%, it doesn't, it, it, it hurts. It, it, it's not, it, it, it fucks over both, it can potentially fuck over both fighters. Because ten percent is such a minuscule amount, you know. Maybe, maybe one fire will, will say, "Hey, I want twenty percent of your purse," and then that's what they come to. Or maybe you no know, fighter will just take none of their purse, you know. Like, um, then Tyron Woodley do that with uh, Kelvin Gastelum, I believe, uh, where he like refused to take ten percent of his purse or something like that when uh, Gastelum may may wait something like that. So yeah, just an interesting. Uh, sorry, T. Yeah, I was saying, I think it was that fight. Yeah, so, but, um, listen, we, I think, you know, you know, we gotta say that definitely Liz Carmouche is definitely gonna be, well, let's just say, Teep, um, for whatever reason, let's say you can't do McFarlane, the winner of McFarlane, Velasquez, uh, for, uh, Liz Carmouche. 
Anybody who you would do after, uh, or who you would put in to maybe uh, put up against Liz Carmouche down the line? Yeah, well, I think, okay, if they're going to do a tournament, they're probably going to have whoever they think the favorites are are going to be on opposite brackets, probably Velasquez. And, uh, depending, Velasquez or Lara would be considered the other favorite other than Alimale. So one of them will be on the other bracket. If they're not doing a tournament, I think you have Carmouche fight either Velasquez or Lara, and then the other one. Yeah, just remind me, which one? Lara, what's her last name? Alejandra Lara. Okay. She's a badass, and her last performance was fucking incredible. She was throwing elbows in combination against the cage, like something you very rarely see, and, and doing it well. It was a fantastic fight. And afterwards, you could tell, like, Velasquez fought two and won, but Coker was kind of saying, well, then you should finish. You know, if you're, if you're going to... He was kind of trying to say without saying she's not necessarily next because Lara had a better performance. Well, well, well question, Teep, as well. Um... What about uh, Carmouche versus Loreda? When do you start giving Loreda a really, you know, a step up in competition? She needs like two more fights at least. She's only, I think, had three. I think she had a couple of amateur fights, maybe one, one, and lost one. But she's only had three pro fights, to my understanding. Yes. So yes. she needs a few more fights, or she'll get schooled. I mean, Carmouche is very good, very dangerous, very experienced, and uh, it's, it would be too much too soon. Okay. Um, I'm trying to go through, uh, I didn't write down all the, uh, Bellator flyweights, um, and my notes, so I'm trying to go through, uh, the, uh... But, in a way, mm -hmm. much like the featherweight division for Bellator, aren't you at least happy that they got a division, unlike the UFC? Well, flyweight's a lot deeper than, uh, sorry, flyweight has a lot more people in it than featherweight for the women's brackets in Bellator. But a lot of them are inexperienced or have amateur experience, not much pro experience. So that division in like a year will be pretty mental. Wait, hold on, Teeth. You said Elyria, uh, uh, Elara Joanne, right? <laughs> All right, she's there too. Wait, did you say did you say Lara or Elara? Alejandra Lara. Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I thought you said Elara, and I'm and I looked up Elara and I was like Elara Joanne. She lost her last fight to uh, Kana Watanabe at the at the Bellator Japan show. Um, well, actually, here's the thing, you know. So, actually, I want to actually just quickly say something about that. So, it looks like you can bring in Japanese fighters at least, uh, Japanese-born fighters from Japan. It's, you know, UFC seems to have no problem bringing in uh, Sato for his uh, fights for the, for his promotion for the, for their promotion. Uh, what about Watanabe? Kana Watanabe, if you remember her, uh, from the, uh, Bellator Japan show, uh, who beat Ilara Joanne. Yeah, you know, she looked good in that one. I, I was hoping at the time, afterwards, she wore light blue, right? Power yes. Power blue? Yes. Yeah, man, that was a great performance. I was, I, I picked it to go the other way, but she, you know, she, she looked like her record suggested she would look, she looked dangerous, and I think, uh, I think they should bring her in if they can. I'd forgotten about her, but at the time, I was like, sign her! <laughs> okay, so guys, come on, let's talk about my favorite fight. Not not the most important one, but my favorite fight of the weekend. Eamon Gracie, John Fitch. Eamon Gracie submitting John Fitch via heel hook, 4 minutes, 47 seconds, round number 2, to improve to 10-1. and one. Fitch, who's been fighting forever at this point, Finally calls it a career, puts the gloves in the middle of the cage, 
bowing out gracefully with a 32 and 8 record. First of all, for Gracie, naming Gracie, I mean, obviously, he's got more finishes than decisions at this point. Should we push him up to the welterweight title pitcher or just, you know, fuck the Gracies? <laughs> and as for Fitch, what about his, I mean, his career, probably one of the most underrated careers in welterweight fighting history as far as mixed martial arts go, but where would you rank him as probably some of the top 15 welterweights of all time? Of all time, he's absolutely got to be a top 10 all time, I would think. I would, I would think, I would think so. I'd have to actually like look at it back in detail. There've been a lot of guys, but he's, he's really one of the greats of his generation. I guess I could comfortably say that without trying to put him in an actual rank. You know, even, even as, even as an older guy not fighting that often, he won five. You know. And then he had the had the draw with Rory that some people thought he should have won. Uh, I thought the draw, you know, was wasn't unfair, but you know, definitely the people thought he should have won because he spent so much time. You know, people ranking by damage, it was a close fight. It was probably a draw, but ranking by who controlled the fight the most, it was obviously he did more of that. But you know, but yeah, I say Neiman Gracie is in the discussion now. So you got Douglas Lima. Got Lorenz Larkin as the top contender. I should say I have Lorenz Larkin as the top contender. I have Yaroslav Amazov just moved to 24-0. He's behind Larkin. And then I've got I've actually got Gracie leaping over MVP to take the spot behind Amazov because the win over Fitch is better than MVP's recent wins. You know, Anzai was a good win, but it's not the same as beating Fitch. Anzai wasn't anywhere near ranked like Fitch was in the company at the time. Yeah, I mean, he's someone who's, who's fought at a good level. I think he went 2-2 two and two in the UFC. But he, he, um, yeah, he wasn't supposed to win that fight. I mean, if you look at the dimensions of him, that was a, that was going to be a big uphill climb for him to do anything against MVP. That's a perfect matchup. Even someone world class, you know, upper elite with those physical dimensions is going to have a tough night against MVP. It's just a hard hard road. So against a guy who's in and out that fast. I want to just quickly say something about John Fitch. Do you like how he yeah. became, uh, like when he came to Bellator, he became like the a baby face to all the. Uh, to MMA fans. Remember when the UFC, he was so hated by every UFC fan or by MMA fans. Then he comes to Bellator he, and like people kind of changed on him. Yeah, I think, well, I, people love an underdog and with him getting old and calling himself Old Man Fitch and, and being kind of outspoken, you know, with the podcast and stuff, you know, he has a, he, he got more appreciation, but it was also, you know, the whole likeness rights battle with the UFC and the drama with AKA, you know, I also think that, uh, uh, I think when he also fought uh, Rutsamur Pajaras and Pajaras ripped his knee apart, I think that also uh, changed, uh, uh, made people uh, respect Fitch more as well. Yeah, that's a good point, because Pajaras, <laughs> I like that little fucking psycho. And so Fitch, you know, by extension, got a little bit of the babyface glow from not being Pajaras. Can, can I just say that, uh, I want to say that during this fight, that like, 
the amount of times that 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 Neiman Gracie is so fucking good. Like here's the thing. You know what's like with Damian Maya. Damian Maya will never ever have to be good at boxing because he's so good at everything else. I think Neiman Gracie's on that level where he doesn't need to at all focus on stand up. I'm sure he's probably going to. Because he doesn't want to be a one no fire, but he is so good. Okay, so the most impressive thing about this, well, too, the way he he did a double leg takedown on John Fitch, which I was not expecting at all. And two, there was uh, T.P. will remember this when he had uh, John Fitch's back and uh, it was uh, in the backpack position. He uh, I he leans down on Fitch and grabs his leg and takes down Fitch that way. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean he was. You know who he reminds me of? Emmanuel Sanchez, the featherweight contender. I think I have Emmanuel third at featherweight behind Patricio and AJ McKee, um, nineteen and four, and he's just phenomenal. When he fought Claxton, it's like you're in one position, and while the opponent's thinking about one position, he's already like moving to the next one, and just chaining oh. attacks on limbs. Oh, that's the thing. Gracie is like think. Like you're thinking one step ahead, uh, you're thinking one step ahead to your next move. Gracie's thinking already ten steps ahead, and he's already reading your mind. It's incredibly impressive. It's, it's out of this world. I, I heard you guys discussing matchups. I'm assuming that uh, that pro- what were you guys saying? Who should be next for Gracie? Amazon. Interesting. That's a very interesting matchup. Um, and I feel like I feel like. Larkin is a top contender. I feel like they're going to have him, like, Daly. I thought they maybe have him fight Daly. Uh, you know, the rematch Daly, because they had, like, a gentleman's rematch. Well, Daly's fighting, fighting uh, he has a fight coming up, right? Yeah, he's fighting Derek Anderson, so they'd have to figure out what to do with Larkin. But, um, you know, maybe the winner, if he can wait, the winner of MVP and Ross Houston, that would be an interesting fight. People shouldn't write Houston off. Houston's a badass dude. Uh, and it's not like he's not necessarily easy stylistically for MVP, the way maybe Anzai was. So, and, you know, he's up at the other end of the spectrum. He's on the rise. But, uh, yeah, so, but I would think that Gracie, the, the thing was Fitch and Amazon were going to fight. And so the winner of Gracie and Fitch was kind of like penciled in to fight Amazon. So I think they should just go ahead with that. They need to find a really tough opponent for Larkin. He shouldn't be getting anything soft. He's he's the main guy, but he's gonna need a big win or the winner of this. Is it know, the winner? Was do you think it's crazy? Team, do you think it's kind of odd that like I'm gonna say since the Bellator Japan card, like we've really heard nothing about Larkin. Like I, I haven't heard Scott Coker mention him. I haven't heard him his name. You're the only one who's talking about Larkin. Is there is there something that like? Am I getting that vibe, or am I, am I just going crazy? What, what do you think about that? It, it feels like there's nobody talking about Larkin at this point. Yeah, well, around the time Bell toured Japan, he was saying, oh, he's probably the guy, but with, you know, he always says, well, we'll go back and watch the footage, you know, we'll, we'll see. They're always keeping their options open, but, uh, you know, I I try to ignore that, who they're pushing. Like, with, you know, obviously with MVP, they wanted him to, you know, Kyle... Kylie fight was that was like social media beef, and I, I wanted that fight because I, I just like hey if he's gonna fight five times a year instead of two, but three of them are soft matchups that's fucking fine. There's more fight, more seeing the guy, more experience. But uh, then the Derek Anderson fight fell through, so he fought the other guy who's got a fight coming up. And then he fought Anzai, but I think 
you know, like they, in their minds, they want him to be the guy, but he should have to win the fights to be the guy. I just talk about who I think the guy is as a sport, and I still think that's Larkin. But if, but the winner of Gracie and Amazov, I would then have leapfrogging Larkin into the top contender position because they're both highly ranked. So the question is, if they fight, who does Larkin fight that wouldn't kind of screw him by even if he won, he would get... Well, why not uh, why, why, why not Gracie versus Larkin? You could do that. You could definitely you could definitely justify that. Like, Larkin, Amazov, Gracie, and the winner of MVP and Ross Houston, I think, would be the main guys in the talk. And then the winner of Daly and Anderson also. So those, those, and then if Koreshkov wins a good fight, I mean, they might do Gracie Koreshkov and then have Larkin and Amazov fight for number one contender, which would actually be kind of more fair seeing as they're the top two guys. Really? You think, I don't know. Didn't, is Koreshkov coming off a win? I can't recall. No, he lost to Larkin. I was about to say, yeah, I remember. I thought he lost to Larkin. I was, that was a good fight. That was a good fight. No, I feel like Koreshkov has to... Uh, I feel like he has to go to the back of the line, so to speak. I don't think he's really... I wouldn't even talk about... If he lost his last fight to Larkin, he shouldn't even be talked about in our uh, whole thing, especially pairing up with Gracie. Gracie has nothing to gain from, to, from that fight. Well, okay. well, no, I mean, he's an ex-champ. He has a win over Lima. But I would say, the thing is, I have I have Koreshkov, I think, at number seven right now. So the only thing that changed with the, with the fights was that Gracie... Like, uh, Fitch, I had him... Just behind MVP at number five, so he moved. So Gracie, with that win, moved to number four. MVP drops to five, but I still have Kreshkov at seven. So he's in the inside the top ten, but he's on his way down. If he loses again, he's not in the top ten anymore. But he's still in there, based on his overall recent body of work. And I think I think Gracie and Kreshkov would be good. It wouldn't be out of line because there are badass welterweights not in the top ten that could fight Gracie. And it wouldn't be terrible because he's not the top contender. Like, Larkin and Amazov are the top guys. So, the most fair thing to do is have them fight. I gotcha, I so, gotcha. Joseph Gracie, if, he, if he's the third contender, well, he can fight the, the ex-champ who's, who's coming off a, a close loss to the top guy right now. Okay, I, I, like, no, I got you. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I'm, Kreshkov's still up there, and he's a fucking killer. He's 22-4. and four. You know, only Ben Askren, two losses to Lima, went one and two with Lima, and and um, Larkin have beaten him his whole pro career. But he's not; he's never lost below a world class level. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, real quick, Andrew, would you say that John Fitch is top fifteen all time in the welterweight division? Or not? I would say yeah, top. We didn't get response about that. I would say top twenty. I'll definitely say top 20. He beat some... The way he beat people, and we were talking about this before, the way, you know, winning versus the way you beat somebody. The way he beat some people was just, like, just the way he could control them in, in the in, in, on top position, in back control. Was he a guy who was, was going to finish a fight? No. But listen, the way he could just maneuver people and control them at will is something that's incredibly impressive and that a lot of people do not have. A lot of people do not have that ability. He also won one won the uh, longest MMA winning streaks for quite a while um, uh, while in UFC. Uh, well, actually, before his UFC career, then, then up uh, 
up until his UFC career. You know, he had a he is definitely a guy who I would put as definitely top twenty and um, not a world beater, but a guy who when he won fights, it was yeah he 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 based. He, I don't want to say ragdolled them. I don't know. He backpacked them. He, 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 uh, I'll basically say this. He, uh, he was, he, he could, he can, he can possess somebody. I'll put it that way. He could possess somebody physically. Uh, so that, like, he, that, they, like, glue. Kind of like Damian Maya can, um, as well. So I'll say top 20. Yeah. I, I imagine I'd have him higher than that because just based on, like, if you look at the GSP loss, but if you look at all the winning that he did surrounding that, uh, leading up to, like, you know, he had the draw to BJ Penn and then the loss to Hendricks. But if you look at his body of work surrounding that, you know, leading up to him following the GSP fight, that's incredible. And you start looking at the records of the guys, some of the guys he was fighting. He was fighting some very tough opposition. Oh, yeah. He wasn't just fighting a bunch of guys who were coming off a slew of losses and stuff. He had some excellent wins. And I would, I would... I'd have to look at the numbers, but he, I definitely he's one of the greats of his generation and one of the most successful welterweights ever. I mean, he kept fighting past his prime and, and still kept an overall winning record. So it's pretty pretty remarkable career. He's had no loss, no shame in a loss to Neiman Gracie, who is a brilliant MMA grappler. I mean, he, you can tell he's enjoying it. And Fitch, you know, they were smiling at each other right before the submission because, you know, Fitch said he was trying to, you know, mug him so that he would, you know, he would try to punch him or something. He could, I think, get out of the position or whatever. But, you know, it didn't work out for him. But they were having a good time, and that was some high-level shit. And that was just a fantastic fight, I thought. And uh, I think that puts Neiman as the third contender to to Douglas Lima. That win. Because that's – let me ask you, Andrew. So, is the, so him, like Gracie submitting Fish, that's a better win than – you know, MVP's wins, right? Um, well, here's the thing. Also, it's the fact that I think that Gracie overall has fought, has fought more high-level competition than MVP. His win, uh, his wins over uh, over people. Well, Gracie's wins has wins over higher higher competition than than MVP overall. Uh, if I want to say MVP's biggest win is probably against Daly and. Yeah, I would Gracie. Gracie has finished people spectacularly in almost all. I think he's. I think he's finished all of his fights. I believe. I believe all of his wins have been finishes. You know the Ed Roof. You know just choking him out like it was like it was nothing. And then um, I'm trying to think. Uh, like yeah, one decision. Yeah. Oh, Carroll was sixteen and thirteen. He just it didn't work out for him. But that was only his uh, fourth fight. Okay. So, but he's finished all of his other fights, uh, and I definitely feel that Grace. Listen, I want to say this. I I don't think you know. I don't know what. Listen, if you want if you want some money, I would love to see an MVP Gracie fight, just because I think it'd be such a wacko fight, just because they're just oh, so different. Great. Yeah, that's hilarious. And that's the thing. I think that Bellator should. I know. Listen, that Bellator is in a weird position. I but I think. I think going forward, if you kind of make more meme fights like that, I think you can get more people interested in the actual fight themselves. Uh, and then uh, you can branch off into like having the more serious fights, you know, main events uh, or something like that. But I think uh, 
That is such... That it's just one of those weird fights that's like, I wonder what would happen. You know, but here's the thing. Gracie's on a streak. I think that Gracie, if you are... We're going by your rankings, uh, MVP, he has to be significantly higher. Uh, I called you MVP. Teep. He has to be significantly higher than, than MVP. I don't want to ruin, ruin Gracie's momentum up the uh, trajectory to the 170 title. Um... I don't know what you, uh, you MVP has to fight somebody higher after this fight coming up uh, if he wins it and then then you start that's when you start putting him uh you know with with high with you know oh you know maybe MVP versus I don't know Amazov I think that's an interesting I think that any fight with MVP is interesting because he'll make it interesting but that's a, no I don't think I think Gracie is way above MVP to tell you the truth at this point. Yeah, I mean, I haven't ranked above him, although I have MVP just, you know, next in line behind him. Or the winner of MVP, Houston. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't make it, like, if MVP wins, that would be his fourth in a row. But really, Houston's a better opponent than, than the other three. Oh, yes, it is. It, it, yes, it is. It, you know, the people that are saying, listen, you, you can tell who the real uh, MMA fans are. Uh, they, uh, who, the, the real ones aren't calling uh, Houston to can. Now, if you have a problem with them booking him against MVP, that's a different story. But the ones who are calling Houston a can clearly are don't know anything about MMA, and I don't know what they are. Uh, I mean, they probably just only like MMA from a casual standpoint. They not even a casual standpoint. It, it's not even a casual... It, it goes beyond a casual standpoint. Uh, if you're calling uh, Houston a can, that's like... That's, it's, it's more... It's more ignorance... It's ignorance. It's it's ignorance at worst. Uh, ignorance at best. Just stupidity at worst. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really just speaking to the narrative. You know, it's fun for some people to just say the guy sucks. This other guy never fights anyone because they haven't heard of him. I follow the regional guys. Follow cover the Euro scene, and some of them are picking Houston to win. And when they signed Houston, they were like, "This is a big signing." And then I looked and I was like, "Oh shit, he beat Paterno." And that's the only loss I think Paterno's had in four years. He, you know, and then he had a bloodbath, no contest, which is kind of cool and crazy. But uh, Paterno, they signed him, and then he beat Ashley Reese, who I think was 8-1 at the time, in Bellator. So, like, people say, oh, that was a regional fight. But, like, both those guys are in Bellator now. So if two years ago they fought in Bellator instead of Cage Warriors, it's the same fucking fight. Unless the cage is a different size or it's different rules, it's the same fight. So that's why I don't pay any attention when I'm ranking to where someone wins and loses because it doesn't matter who promotes it. The suit has nothing to do. It's only the rules and the athletes. So Houston is has a good win already. He has a quality win. Paterno I don't have in the top 10, but mm. there are lots of badasses I don't have in the top 10. Okay. Welterweight's a deep division. Yes. I, I ranked it. I did the top 10, and I think I still had like 35 other guys plus – some non-exclusives, and since then they've signed some guys. So it's like a- Sorry to interrupt, Teep, but uh, we're going to be soon running out of time, so I want to move on to the main event. Uh, any last... Yeah, let's go ahead and go on and talk about the main event. Juan the Spaniard Archuleta defeated Patchy Nola Mix via unanimous decision. Archuleta improves to 25-2, and Mix 13-1, and getting his first loss of his career. Archuleta is now the new Bellator Bantamweight champion, but as I said before, do you think that a fight between him and Kyoshi Horiguchi would be worth seeing? Yes. Hell yeah. Uh, really? 
Would it be worth seeing? I do think that Archuleta will get his ass kicked by Kyoji Horiguchi. I just don't think it'll be entertaining to watch. But but here's the I don't think that's a fight they're gonna do. I think they're gonna I think Pettis is probably next in Ryan line, right, Teep? Well, I like I have I can only go by I don't know internally how they see it, but I can only go by how I like my estimation. I have it going um Archuleta, then uh Pettis and then Gentleman Josh Hill, who just won, I think, his fourth in a row. I think he's, uh, I can't remember, 20 and 3 now, well, I think. Well, here's, well, here's, um, Gucci, so yeah. Well, here's what Mick said. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Mick, well, here's what Mick told me. Mick told me pre fight interview when he wins, or if he, uh, well, if, uh, if, if he won. He was going to, he, uh, it'll be Pettis who's next. He said, no, uh, Horiguchi lost. You know, Horiguchi uh, would be behind Pettis. He said that he would give yeah, the next shot yeah. to Pettis. So I just assume that all step Pettis, you know, also the fact that he won against Ricky Bandeis, you know, that I think that had to be an unofficial number one contenders match. Uh, so I, I'm assuming that Pettis is probably next uh, for Archuleta. And uh, I don't know about Horiguchi. Uh, I, I, my, I, I'm going to guess... I'm going to guess he's still in Florida. I don't know though. He is in Florida. But Probably. I'm gonna yeah, I'll assume he's in Florida. Also don't you know, don't know how, how well he is regarding his ACL injury, if he's still doing PT or anything like that. But in terms of who's healthy and can go, obviously Pettis is the one that can you can do next very easily. Um yeah, I think there's the only complicating wrinkle is because Haraguchi vacated the belt, when the, he vacated Coker publicly said he would get an immediate shot, so I think it's more of a. But also, issue. but also, there was no uh, worldwide pandemic that could potentially, uh, uh, you know, let's just say Corey, because here's the thing: Corey Gucci is, is a citizen of, of Japan. He's not a citizen of the United States. If he went to Japan, uh, maybe, maybe, because you know, maybe Ryzen wants to do something with him. You know, so if he's, I think that 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 Horiguchi is going to give precedence to Ryzen. If they ask him for a fight over Bellator, uh, in my personal yeah. opinion, um, and also here's the thing: I don't know where Horiguchi is with his ACL injury. Don't forget, ACL injuries are just—they're a weird injury. You got people who who come back and are great, you know, in, in their return, and there's other people who just never ever fully recover. So I don't know where well, he is. It's been a year since Kyoji last fought. Obviously, it was that loss to Kai Asakura, who's now the Ryzen bantamweight champion. So, you know, obviously it took a year for that ACL to heal up. Well, he, but we don't know where he is physically because it might be fully healed, but he could still be doing PT. He might be still in, still doing just exercises, strengthening up his legs and all that stuff. We don't know where he is. People recover differently than others. We, we, we know what, what the obvious case to, uh, to give is Dominic Cruz, who never, ever fully recovered from that ACL injury at all. Uh, in my personal opinion, um, and you know, you see the same thing with basketball players. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure there's some that that recover. You know, they're back on within six months. You know, guys like Bernard King come to mind back in the late '80s when he got that very terrible ACL injury, but it took him like three years to come back. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't we don't know where what where Horiguchi is health wise. Yeah, he. His ACL can be recovered, but he may not be physically strong enough to do any any 
any in-ring fighting at this point, or even cleared by a doctor. So, as far as I'm concerned, Kyoji Horiguchi, he's kind of like... He's, I guess it's kind of like Anderson Silva was still, like, number two title and then lost to Bisbing and other fighters as well. I think that Kyoji Horiguchi kind of is, like, frozen at number two. But, you obviously, you, you, he's not going to move up or down. He's not going to move down, but he's, he's when he comes back, he comes back. That's basically what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can understand it because he did, he didn't make them strip him. He gave him. Gave it up, and so he, and he did beat Cowboy twice. Beat him in, in his own rules and in Cowboy's rules. So yeah, I, I think they give him a, internally they give him a lot of credit. But yeah, I, I have him ranked fourth. And honestly, the winner of uh, Gallagher and and uh, Cal Pacino, you could argue jumps over Haraguchi because he's coming off a loss in the layoff. You don't just get to like be, even if he's going to get an opportunity because of a deal. Ranking wise, I would say the winner of Gallagher and. Uh, Calpuccino jumps him, and he bumps down to five. Mm. Uh, mm. Personally, because it's like I'm not punishing people for, for existing in the rankings, but like you are falling. If you're not winning, if you lose, you drop. Like Kreshkov, you lose, you're dropping. You lose twice. It's ugly. If even if you were really high ranked, you're going to be scraped in the bottom of the top ten. If you lose two in a row, that's just a hard way because it should be fluid and dynamic. It shouldn't be like people like, well, I like this guy, so he's still. He gets ranking based on that. So Haraguchi is dropping until he comes back. If he wins a strong fight, he'll leap up because of his overall body of work, his spectacular body of work. Just go. Uh, just let's talk about this fight. How awesome it was. Uh, we oh how God. we saw Patchy Mix try to try to like get that finish so quickly in the first two rounds, and then Archuleta after that, body shots, body shots, body shots. And you know, gotta give a lot of credit to Patchy Mix. He did not go down with those terrible body. With, I mean, Terrible, I mean, like, when we say terrible, I mean, like, obviously they hurt a lot. I could, they, they would put a normal man down. Um, yeah, gotta say, this was a great fight. And, you know, it was a really great fight that, uh, that was a great way to end uh, Bellator's tenure on the Paramount Network. I'm really glad that, like, it was, like, a main event that delivered. Um, and, yeah, you know, I guess, what would you do with Patchy Mix next, though? Um, I don't want to see him against Bandeus because he basically destroyed Bandeus in one round. Would you give him the the loser of Gallagher, Cal Pacino? Or actually, how about this? I mean, wouldn't you want to do the Gallagher fight? Because didn't these two get into a scuffle or something at, like, some event, Teep? If I... You know what? I think it would be best to have that fight, and I hate to speak over Teep, because he knows a lot more about Bellator than we do, but still. I think it would be best to have that fight just because of all the pre-fight hype that would come with it. Oh, I agree. Absolutely, I agree. I think regardless of the outcome of the gallagher Calpacino fight, I think Gallag- uh, if you wanted to do an unofficial, uh, a, a number one contenders match after Archuleta versus Pettis, presuming they go that way, you can do then do Mix versus Gallagher. I know I'm breaking my rule of winners and losers, but here's the thing. I guess you could say that you know, uh, you know. I guess it, you know. I think that Patchy Mix is a future. The way that he fought tells me that you know he didn't. He's he's championship. He's championship material. He just wasn't on that night. So I would have no problem yeah. giving him another chance, or Gallagher. Again, like, right, and like in the other thing, like if Gallagher. Gallagher wins, then 
he's kind of rising to where roughly where Mix has fallen to because he's not leaping over Josh Hill or Pettis. So, so it, it's a good fight. They're in a similar situ. They're they're moving in opposite directions, but maybe. But, but I think I, if Gallagher loses, you maybe do the rematch. But I think I, I I don't think you get big. Yeah. A climbing fight. But that you pair the losers. I think that that Christian makes the the best point that. Listen, I think these, these those two could talk people into a building. Especially, you know what? You have that fight in Ireland. I you know um, I don't know if these fights are not uh, the, the Gallagher fights coming up is going to have any as an audience. But you get you could get an audience with that fight, and you could get people interested in the, in their in their pre fight hype. Those two are definitely going to talk up a shitstorm. And listen, half the battle is talking people into the building, and then the other battle is winning the fight. But that's not up to. You know, that's up to the fighters. You got to talk us into the building. And I think that Mix and Gallagher could absolutely do that. Yeah, that's a fair point. But, you know, Eleanor, he can talk a little shit himself. So it might be that if he wins and, and comes out with some real, you know, talent on the mic, you know, like takes the opportunity, maybe that gets a lot more appealing to mm-hmm. fight someone like Mix. Because, I mean, if you beat the company darling, you do get opportunity. Actually, I also want to ask this, Teep, since we're talking about the 135 division. Um, would you bring in John Dodson, who just got recently released in the UFC? Would you, is he somebody who you would add to the Bellator roster? It's someone they might. I don't know. If, I, you know, it's gonna, it'll be like a cost-benefit. They'd be looking at what he was looking to get paid and then what they think the numbers, the, what they can ascertain about the social media numbers. That'll be their thing. I mean, it's a pretty good division. It doesn't need him, but it... it you know, it's a name that they could add to the bracket. So I, I, I don't know if I personally would, but I imagine they'll be looking at it or making some kind of offer. Just have another name on the roster. You know, even if it's a name who ends up losing to guys they're bringing up, that works. They win as long as they get a blend of names and prospects, and you know, when they can, legendary veterans, all in the same place. Whoever wins, they win. Now I'm curious to know as well. Um... Let's just say, I don't know, the Pettis fight doesn't work out for whatever reason. Uh, and this sometimes does happen. It doesn't happen a lot. Would you want to run Archuleta Mix again? No. No, I hate instant rematches. And when they were thinking of redoing the Primus Chandler fight, I thought I was bullshit. You should be winning fights unless you hold well, the belt like Bader just lost. Well, right? here's the thing. That was he different because because Chandler just, you know, he was champion... I don't know if there's rematch clauses or anything, you know, that some fighters do have that. They lose a fight, they get an immediate rematch. You know, I think that was in the Joshua um, fight with, um, what's his name, the fat guy. I forgot what his name. Ortiz? No, not Ortiz. Ruiz. Ruiz. Uh, well, Ruiz. Ruiz, yeah. So I think that Joshua had that in his contract. I don't know if Chandler had that or if they just looked, if they saw that and saw how, how it ended. They're kind of like, well... You you did win, but it really wasn't you finishing him. So we'll run it by again, um, type thing. But uh, I know I, you're against instant rematch. And I, here's the thing: I would I wouldn't call it an inst- here's the thing. We saw that 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 mix dominated in the first two rounds, and his game plan was to finish that fight very quickly. Obviously, that backfired because uh, he didn't he didn't wind up uh, uh, saving that energy for the next three rounds. So. Um, but so okay, so no instant rematch. Okay, um, they him, they're gonna want they're gonna want him to get better. Yeah, because he just lost to the the top guy right now. You know, it was Haraguchi. 
did get his ass kicked. Like, even though he's he's the more proven between the two than Archuleta, I would say still he's more proven, you know, especially the Grand Prix win. Come on. But well, actually, yeah, here's the thing. Would they, you... Yeah, I mean... I'd rather see... Better next time, so he needs he needs to fight other people until he's ready for that highest echelon. Okay, I would say. so tell you what, would you see? Would, do you think a one thirty five Grand Prix would be something Bellator could do? You know, have Archuleta in it, obviously defending the belt against whoever he's fighting. Have Mix in it. Have Gallagher in it if he wins his um, match with Cal Pacino. Um, let's say if you want to sign Dodson and put him in there, have him in there as well. You already got four people there. I don't know who's another fifth per, uh, uh, fifth person. You could have Pettis in there as well if if, if he wants to be in there. Um, and then I guess there's a sixth, maybe Ricky Bandeas or Stotts. Oh, Rafael you know, Stotts. Oh, forgot about yeah, Ra- uh, Rafael oh, Stotts. Yeah. Well, you know he's he had a lot of amateur fights at higher weights, but a bantamweight as a pro, he's he's only five and one, so he he should be in there too. That's a that's a a guy who gets overlooked a lot, and especially as he just lost a fight, but he's a badass dude. He should be in there. But I don't think that's a division they need to. I think women's flyweight is, or maybe even light heavyweight, but women's flyweight, I think, is the most appealing. Because by the end of the tournament, even if someone fairly inexperienced is into the finals, they will have won fights to get there, so they'll have more than they did. And they just have a lot of compelling personalities there and, and some just, you know visually compelling martial artists. So I, th- I think that's probably why they're looking at that division. Oh, gotcha. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. You need to a bantamweight. There's a beautiful title picture emerging at bantamweight. A lot of intrigue. It's a little clogged up because we're not sure about the Haraguchi thing. But they just run the bracket, have it, you know, narrow down some contenders and build up other guys. There's a lot of personality, but I don't think it needs to, uh, to be cradled in a tournament. I got you. No, that's understandable. That's understandable. Um, any last thoughts about this fight, uh, Teep or Christian? I got nothing. Teep? Yeah, just briefly, I would say it was stunning. Mix looked like I thought he would look, but he didn't get the finish, and Archuleta was like cold as ice on the ground defense. Beautiful work on his part. He was totally, totally prepared. Like, absolute top-level preparation. And Mix, to his credit said that he was fully prepared and came in and he didn't make excuses. He just said, I'll be better. I need to tweak some things. I mean, he had an accurate assessment of his performance. And I thought he showed championship heart in the loss because he was taking some ugly body shots. I was wincing. By the way, can we also talk about about Archuleta's uh, uh, audition for Ryzen when he gave that uh, almost illegal soccer kick? To the uh, to uh, Patchy Mix, actually hit him in the shoulder, I believe. Body. Yeah, to hit him to the body. You're allowed to kick to the body. Oh yes, but you know, credit to Patchy Mix. Patchy Mix was trying to tell the referee, no, 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 it was legal, it was legal. Um, so, but it, I think that was a uh, that uh, I don't know. I liked uh, Archuleta's little audition for uh, Ryzen with his uh, with him doing that move. It's always nice to see a soccer kick in the Bellator cage. You, uh, Yachi has the only soccer kick win in the Bellator cage. Technically, on the post limbs of Bellator Japan. That's phenomenal, true. Phenomenal, phenomenal punt to the face. Uh, quickly, Teep, I want to just get your thoughts on Michael Chandler's signing with the UFC. If you have any thoughts on that. Oh, that's great. I mean, that's a lot of new matchups for him. He had some matchups he hadn't had in Bellator, but really, 
they're that's the flagship division of the UFC. So there's some great fights there. So I think it's a positive thing for fans. It's great for Chandler. I'm sure he's getting a lot more money, and he's get he's gonna get his credit because you know Bellator isn't really like hiring teams of PR people to spam hatchet attacks at you know the way it goes in the other direction. So he'll get his full credit, and it's just good to see. Even if it's ugly, the circumstances surrounding like someone getting their credit, like now you're not going to get spammed. Uh, it's it's still gratifying to see someone be treated as world class, who clearly has been mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. years. I agree with that. So it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and there's going to be some great fights, and a lot of new fan, a lot of fans that mostly watch UFC are going to see just how fucking good he is. They're going to appreciate him. Maybe some of that glow will rub off on the guys who've competed against him in Bellator, where they don't get credit because. That's not their flagship division. Uh, even though it's a good one, it's just underrated. But uh, yeah, so I, th- I thought it was a great thing. I wasn't that shocked. I think it's just good all around. And it also frees up money for Bellator to pay other people. So it, it's not like they're like, take a giant L. He got knocked out by one of their champions. So so they can still have that sort of like MMA math backup. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought it was a good thing. What did you, what did you think, uh, guys? How did it make you feel? Well, I, I my thoughts were that he was gonna go to USC. I it was just a feeling. Like I'm not gonna, you know, you know how those people who like to brag. Oh yeah, I was right about that. It was just a, it was just honestly a feeling. Because what else was he gonna do in Bellator? I what else? I don't. I didn't see him sign one. He's a guy who strikes me as a family man. He's gonna sign with Ryzen because yeah. we all know that was gonna be a long shot anyway. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as a guy who wants to travel. He seems to like to be a family man with his adopted children and all that stuff. He doesn't like to travel if he doesn't have to. So I guess like yeah, I get one would would have been like out of the question just because oh traveling to Singapore and Thailand and Philippines or whatever. So I I kind of just had a feeling UFC was it was going to be it. Uh, what else? You know, it's 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 kind of it's it's good. It's good. You know, I'm hoping that 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 he does he does get the recognition. He deserves. I mean, he deserve. He would deserve it anyway about the UFC. But at least now, like you know, it'll stop people from shutting up about like, oh, you know, Michael Chandler is just never good enough to be in UFC. Um, so you know, if he, if, you know, if by chance he, he does have to sub in for Gabe G versus Khabib, listen, I hope he wins because you know, um, it would. I it would. I wonder. I wonder what. I really wonder what what Dana White legitimately think, thinks about Chandler. I really wonder. I'm I don't know what he said about him publicly, but like it's kind of like the Ben Askren thing. Where listen, we saw like if you want to see somebody who's trying to kill somebody's career, look at Ben Askren's career was like the most obvious. Where like yeah, well who look who he your first fight is against Robbie Lawler. Um, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so, and then after that, uh, he had the fight with Jorge, and then, yeah, he just got all these killers, just, like, w- one after another. It was quite clear that Dana White was trying to, like, kill, uh, Ben Askren's, um, I guess, name value. Um, well, they, yeah, they, they, they got him, they got him. Sorry, go ahead, brother. I was saying whatever name value he had left. Yes, so yeah. Please. Well, they got him past his prime, so like he was in a position. Like if he when he was in like I think it was 2013 when he, you know, coming off the Koreshkov win, he was a fucking killer, like a soul eating killer. 
but you know, contractually, like I guess he said on one of these, I think it might have been Joe Rogan's show, that the UFC wanted him to go have a fight in World Series of Fighting, which isn't at all weird. You know, like they told him to get out of his Bellator contract, he got out of it, and they said go fight in World Series of Fighting for a fight. I don't know if that's some way to get him in with the friendly management, you know, try and get Ali to be his manager, because Ali works for them as much as anybody, probably more than anybody. But whatever it is, just some weird sideways shit. Maybe they were the secret ownership. But, uh, you know, it didn't work out then when he was, like, you know, one of the absolute best in the world. But uh, they got him past prime, and, you know, yeah, what happened happened. But, it, you know, on the plus side, changing of the guard, Jorge, even though he's old school, what a star he became by kicking his ass. So as long as the promotion has the athletes, they win. So for Dana White with Michael Chandler, if he wins, hey, they got Michael Chandler. They got the guy who won. It's not like he's going to win and go to Japan. And if he loses, it makes their guys that they already had look better. So they win just by having him. Same thing with Askren. Like if he choked out Jorge, well, Jorge's like a commodity, a known commodity in the UFC. So they're like, see, we got a guy who's good enough to beat our guy. Mm. So it's a win. You know, same thing with the belts or signing UFC fighters. Win or lose, you know, unless they're only brought in to lose, which is rare because it usually costs money to outbid, then they win. They have them. Listen, you, have tape, you, you do not guys. underestimate promoters and promotions willing to just pay somebody because they want them to lose. That's the that is the entire wrestling. Uh, uh, that's the entire rest pro wrestling that's world. It's like the aspect of professional wrestling. Well, no, because because listen, uh, Vince McMahon was buying out guys basically just to make them look like fools. Probably the best example is Dusty Rhodes. Uh, you know, putting him in polka dots or t- uh, actually uh, Terry Taylor as the Red Rooster. Listen, don't don't uh, listen. I have no, I I firmly believe that. Dana White wanted to basically not not literally kill, but metaphorically kill Ben Askren because just because of all the shit Ben Askren said about him. Uh, and oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Andrew. I wasn't being clear. Uh, in that case, absolutely yes, because he was brought in to lose past his prime. Well, yeah, I don't even say Ben Askren was even past his prime. I don't think Askren. Sorry, what? Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I would say with Chandler, that's not the same case. He's coming off a big knockout of an ex-UFC champ. They have Bendo's footage, and their fan base know, you know, there's, so it's like all they have to do is undo some of the hatchet spam that they've been directing at Bendo and Chandler and, and just kind of, like, repair the damage they created in the PR realm. But uh, it's but with Askren, yeah, they absolutely wanted him to get destroyed. That was the best-case scenario. That probably made dudes here, but... But normally, when they bid for a free agent, especially Bellator with a smaller budget, when they go in and get a guy, they don't want him necessarily to lose. They just want him to be there winning and losing, legitimizing the other athletes. Mm, I see, I see. Okay, well, you know. Now, if they had a giant budget like the UFC, if, like, if, you know, like, UFC takes 80% of the money or more than 80% of the revenue, so... They can splurge and get someone just to destroy them, but it doesn't really serve Bellator's like image or purpose. Yeah, they bring in guys from the regionals and journeymen to lose, but I don't think they necessarily bid for free agents just to fuck them up because mm-hmm. it doesn't help them. They they're trying to say, look at this guy we got, he's good, he's competitive. But yeah, that was a spiteful 
thing, but you know that's that's the game. Askren signed the deal, fully knowing who he was dealing with. So it's whatever. I don't even know if he's bitter. He made some money. No, no, I don't think he's bitter. But listen, you have to call, listen. The thing, call space paid. I just wish people would be would be more on would be just like truthfully more honest and be like and just stop trying to you know view everything through rose colored glasses and all that shit. Um, but uh, yeah, but but with Askren, he was definitely past his prime because it was years before when he had said in interviews he was past his physical prime. If you look at his style of fighting, he was very physical. Oh, I know, I know. He even mentioned that he had to get hip surgery. Um, and I pro- probably, no doubt, that's, I, I won't even say that was even the MMA, it was probably, that was probably just from his wrestling career, and just, like, majority, like, I'm willing to bet that hip injury, the, the hips things is 70% from just, like, all the high-level collegiate wrestling he was doing, uh, throughout his life, probably, you know, yeah. since as a child, but, yeah, I don't, I, I think, you know, I think he could have adapted as a fighter if he wanted to, but I don't know if he wanted to, he also, you know, staying also at once, you know, I would also say that probably, you know, not cutting... He didn't really cut any weight um, as well. That probably helped... Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Well, it should have... By not cutting weight, that should have also helped him as well uh, in his career as well. But also, you know, it just didn't seem like... Like, he never really got stand-up or he never really wanted to do stand-up fighting. He seemed to just depend on wrestling, grappling, uh, and never really adapted to the other aspects of, of MMA. So... And guys can win at a high level doing that. Brock Lesnar, you know, if you look at his striking form, it's pretty pathetic compared to other guys who would have that kind of resources, that level of resources to yeah. put behind a training regimen. Not everyone rounds out. Some guys are really potent at a certain thing, and they get by with youthful vigor, and then when that youth fades, they don't have it. Then you have a guy like Daniel Cormier who's improved up until... You know, all the way, he never stopped improving. So even though he was losing his physical thing, and I still think he peaked around the Barnett fight, his absolute peak, but he stayed world class all the way up until the end of his career. But most guys are not like that. Of course. Fitch was like that, though. Fitch was world class to, you know, losing to Gracie. That's not, you know, I, I had Fitch like fifth in the bracket, counting the champ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, top four contender as an old man. So, you know, it's like, not everyone can do that. Most people can't do that. They, they lose a step. They mm-hmm. get their ass kicked. And that's just, that's the cycle of life. Yeah. That's it. It's the game. And with that, uh, we have to bring you know this. One more thing. Oh. One more thing I gotta ask. And I'm gonna make this quick. Yeah. What are your thoughts about Paramount Network after 15 years of showing different mixed martial arts promotions? UFC first, mm. and then Bellator, and they also contributed with showing the first Rising card on network television. But still, what are your thoughts about the Paramount Network slash Fight TV getting out of the fight business, getting out of the MMA business, so to speak? Well, of course they have to. They, they, they need an excuse to show more Rocky movies. That's all they do now, is just show the Rocky movies on their fucking channel. Literally. Like, anytime I'm, I'm just... If I'm there on TV, they're they're always showing a Rocky movie. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure they don't. Oh, and Bar Rescue. Those are the only two things that I think that are on Paramount Network: Rocky movies and Bar Rescue. I don't think anything else is at all. Like I'm not. Even, I'm surprised they don't even have cops reruns because every channel has cops re, uh, re reruns. So, wait but, a minute. Are you sure they're done showing cops? 
Well, that's the, I don't know. I don't even know if they uh, probably they're not. They're becoming. They're almost becoming like a just like a syndication channel at this point, where they're just ru not running any original programming minus uh, Bar Rescue. Yeah, I don't know. I, all, all I know is when Spike rebranded, that was the end of the Spike lineage. Paramount's not the same kind of channel, and it's not a dude channel. They didn't belong there, but they were there because of the way the corporate structure and who was overseeing. Us, technically, who owned when it. they were now they're owned by the Sports Network. Like they should be. Well, here's the thing. Well, when they were when they were in the Man Channel, that was when they were most interesting because they had they had the awesome MXC show. If you guys remember that, uh, the, yeah, Extreme Elimination Challenge. Yeah. They had Stripperella, which was that Pamela Anderson Lee animated program. One thousand, uh, the most dumb ways to die or whatever that show or one thousand ways. They gave Funkmaster Flex a show. I think they gave a lot of. They had, yeah, they, they had Raw, they had, at one point, they had, uh, actually, I think it was TNN at one point when they were on, uh, when Raw was on there, but then, remember, they had Impact Wrestling for a number of years, so. Also, obviously, I mean, you can't fault the fact that they had a long history with professional wrestling going back to the days of ECW, then screwing them over for WWF slash WWE, and then going all the way through with Impact until 2013. So, yeah, I mean, basically, like, it just seems like it's just now a, uh, a, a just a syndication channel to rerun Rocky movies, cops, reruns, and Bar Rescue. There's really nothing. Like, what else, what, what other original programming do they have? I can't think of anything. Um, I think the only other original programming they have is Lip Sync Battle and Ink Master. Oh, wait, don't they have that Wyoming show as well? Oh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Which, I don't know. Does anybody watch that? I don't think so. And what, what's, whatever. Uh, they have a Nietzsche audience, and it's also on Netflix as well. If you can't watch it on Paramount. Oh, well, then what the, listen, then what the fuck? Why, why am I going to watch it on Paramount? Uh, is, is Blue Mountain State still on Paramount? <laughs> <laughs> no, Blue Mountain Pluto, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, Whatever. I, yeah, I guess it's better than... I don't know what how... how I, I, I never heard of CBS Sports Access, whatever it is. Um, uh, it's basically the 24-hour home of the CBS Sports Network, which used to be, I think, college sports. Well, actually, so, uh, yeah, and also, I'm going to briefly ask as well, T, uh, now Christian brought this up, being on Thursday now, Good or bad? Well, I'm going to, personally, I'm going to have to deal with it because I get my ass a lot of mornings. I'm up at 4 or 5 o'clock. So I'm, what I'm going to end up doing is going to sleep like a, like a, the adult and then watching it, the, like probably the main card the next morning without spoilers. But as far as for them, it's good. It finds a night. It's less competition on the night. I think PFL's Thursdays, but what are they doing? They're not, I don't think they're doing anything. Paying, you know, they're paying guys to not leave or whatever. I'm not sure what they're exactly, but yeah, Thursdays is good. I'm gonna enjoy uh, enjoy it regardless. I, it is a personal adjustment, but you know, I've been losing sleep watching a lot of these rising cards. So it's like that's just that's just part of fight sports. Is it's inconvenient sometimes. Just deal with it. But I, I think it's a great move. I think it's a great and powerful move for them because you know, 
Strike Force, from what Coke, I remember, seem to remember Coker saying, is when they bought out Pro Elite, they got that's how they got the Showtime and CBS affiliation. Now CBS still own co-owns, like they have the non-exclusive rights to the footage from Strike Force, which is epic, and or the Strike Force events that were on Showtime or CBS. So now they're back in that family. So in the future, you can see the largest cards on. Big either, CBS. CBS. Either CBS or Showtime, which is definitely, to me, good for them because, you know, it gives them a chance to spread their feet out a little bit. It gives Stephen Espinosa, who now is overseeing a lot of things, a chance to, you know, broaden his horizon and broaden his horizon. And if, you know, if the day comes where we do get a boxing and MMA fight card, on the same night, at the same time, through the same channel, either CBS, Showtime, or the CBS Sports Network, I wouldn't mind seeing it, because it'd be a hell of a lot better than what the UFC is trying to pull on ESPN Plus, having to get people, having to get people to force themselves to pay for an app they don't want for 50 bucks. But, yeah, I think that when it comes down to the Paramount Network missing combat sports, Who's going to miss them anyways? Because it's not like their network haven't really been performing well over the last few years, aside from what combat sports coverage they could have. I mean, what combat sports coverage they did have. And how Bar Rescue, Yellowstone, and Ink Master, and Lip Sync Battle do for them. <laughs> well, Yellowstone was a big smash hit for them. They were getting killer ratings on that particular show. I don't watch the channel. I don't watch TV if it's not fights or documentaries, so I don't follow them. But I did hear some buzz about how big that show was. But, you know, they were done with combat sports when they rebranded from Spike. Then it was just like a place, uh, just a place, it's like a limbo. And now they finally sorted out with the merger of Viacom and CBS. Now they're on the CBS Sports Network, sports executives running the production, not family programming executives. You know what I mean? Like, these things make a big difference. So we might see some production changes. I'm not sure. And it's I hope... It's 100%, 100% yeah. positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is 100% positive. But I, what, what I also hope for is that in the UK, that it doesn't mean that, you know, particular events get interrupted by Peppa fucking Pig at 6 a.m. in the morning over there. They, I think they've said it's going to be live. Oh, right, 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 right. Because their first two events, which will take place, I mean, their first two events as part of this new change are going to take place in the afternoon in Milan, which will be prime time over there. And for the French show, which will be the first professional mixed martial arts event sanctioned by the French Professional MMA Federation or whatever they want to call themselves by a North American promotion, that's going to be on at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, well, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, so it's going to be like breakfast in MMA, the Bellator way. Yeah, and I think the, the Euro Series shows, they'll probably stream those on their app. I think that's what they were do. They've been doing. I haven't heard them announce a change. Sorry, guys. I got. Well. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we gotta wrap this up because I have to start watching G1 in ten minutes, and I have to head out of here. Okay. Okay.
understood. But still, Teep, it's been fun talking with you. Can you give your social media one last time for the folks that want to find out who you are? Yeah, Teep to the Junk on, on Twitter and on Reddit. I'm Teep to the Junk with little dashes on either side. Uh, come at me. And, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, Teep to the Junk, as I said before, it's like a punt to the balls. And as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisGary92. Andrew, you can follow him on Twitter at Avenger1. The show handle at We Are Rising Pod, W E A R E R I Z I M P L D, all in one word. You can check us out on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Podbean, and all your favorite podcast providers of choice. And that's about it, guys. Another episode in the books. And I thank y'all for two. We thank y'all for tuning in. It's a we, not I operation. <laughs> but still, we thank y'all for listening, y'all for tuning in. We hope you get to learn out about us. And we hope that you enjoyed another edition of the We Are Rising podcast. And as the great Lenny Hart always likes to say, but still, that's about it for us for now. We thank you for listening to yet another edition of the We Are Rising podcast. And until the next time we hear from you, like the great Lenny Hart always likes to say, and on that note, we out this mug. Talk to y'all later. Peace.